You know, at that point when I knew what had happened, that she was dead and that the daughter was dead, I just figured like that's what those last two shots were. It wasn't until I went in and visibly saw that because I had a kid at the time. He was a year old, you know, who could do this to their own child, right? I love my kids to death. Biggest accomplishment for the guys when I was there is we need to get to the basic academy because that was the hard part. Coming back and trying to teach 500 people from this department that hadn't have a body camera, but they're out there working in frontline positions. I hear Rowden get on the radio, but the voice that came through that radio was not Rowden. I mean, just you could tell this stress that was in his voice. And I'm like, what the hell is going on, right? Like, he doesn't ever sound like this. And that's when I looked up the call to see what he was on. And I'm like, oh, okay, so this is probably a legitimate deal. Somebody did get kidnapped, and he's, they're getting into some, some stuff right now. Again, a lieutenant, newly promoted, and you're working under the best chief of police that this entire country has seen. And I get that front row seat and I don't take advantage of that. It's hard to explain because you guys only see what's on TV and then I get, oh man, that was great. And I'm like, it was great, but that's like not even half of what I get to experience on a daily basis. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assisi Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Apollo and Artemis, twins born of Leto and Zeus. They were the divine archers of Greek mythology. They were similar in many ways, but also very different. They both had a love for archery and the hunt. They were equal, highly revered, and often chose youthful forms to express themselves. However, they were very opposite of one another. Apollo represented the sun and day, whereas Artemis' domain was the night and everything he could touch by moonlight. The divine twins were effectively two sides of the same coin, inseparable yet different one without the other was inconceivable welcome back atl supporters i'm joe king today i'm with my guest co-host sergeant kent wolverton and today we're sitting down with our identical twins on the department live from the 305 miami both hiring on in 2007 they sat in the same academy class but like Artemis and Apollo, they both were, took different paths in their careers. 
both paths led to success. This is their story of family, struggle, success, and leadership. I'd like a welcome to the ATL stage, the Candelaria Twins, Brian and Gabe. Guys, thank you all for coming on and sitting with us. I know you are so busy, especially you, Gabe, uh, being the big boss's uh, body double. Is that, yeah, what, is that what we're going with? Right. Or my father. Yeah. yeah. yeah the more <laughs> I, successful of the two. Well, mm. I saw, I had I'd heard, I hadn't seen it, that somebody did like the uh, the Dr. Evil in the, the mini me picture. Yeah, it's <laughs> in my parking <laughs> space. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so for the, for the listeners, uh, we're having on identical twins. And we and both these guys, they they are identical. The only way I can separate them right now is by by their by their uniform. One's a lieutenant, and the other's a sergeant. I've known them both my entire career. I've known Brian, uh, the sergeant, longer. We actually worked together for a long time, and uh, and gen- genuinely great people. I'm gonna start with that. Just being good, good people. Thank you. Thank you. Loyal friends. Um, and just you know, I. I, 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 it means a lot for y'all to be on this, you know, come out and take your time to do the show, but also be an uh, incredible friend to me. Just want y'all to know to get that out of the way because we're about to roast the hell out of y'all. <laughs> yeah. so, I figured. I figured. <laughs> In fact, to, to just lay the ground rules, if I can, um, Brian, the entire interview, you're supposed to speak in the Ali G accent. Booyakasha. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> and Gabriel, you are going to use a Scottish accent, so we can tell the difference. Yeah. All right. You go, you're Gabe, you go with I'm that. trying to think about how okay. to do that. That was horrible if you were doing it right there. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. You really got to work at that. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? The, Sean uh, Connery. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Myers is ro- Mike Myers is rolling over in his grave hearing that. But he's not dead. No, he's the, the Shrek voice, the Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. You can do that? Yeah, just do Shrek. Yeah, do the Shrek voice. I can, I can do the donkey. Hey, Shay. Hey. Well, oh, my God. Okay, we'll do that. That was horrible. No, no, so the reason I do it because y'all sound alike, right? So let's say I just got in the car and I'm doing a search on podcasts and I'm going, eh, well, you know, okay, true crime, uh, nonprofit section. Uh, what What is this ATL bridging the divide? Okay, let me check this shit out. Oh, Candelaria twins. I and can then, go very wide. And, Okay, well, the Bar- Sergeant Barry White can no, so they're gonna tr- they're not gonna be able to tell the difference, right? So on some of these, I'm gonna have to say, Gabe, blah blah blah, and Brian, and go with that. But great plug too, by the way, finding the website or the the podcast. Hey, I'm yeah, no, I'm getting better at this. No, you killed I, that I, one. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. I have my moments. All right, first off, I want to say that Lieutenant Gabriel Candelaria, you are the lieutenant for who? Chief Eddie Garcia for the Dallas Police Department. Well, yeah, and for the listener, that is the top chief. And, yes. And, and all the stresses that go along with working for the big chief. Uh, chief Garcia actually is on an earlier episode, ep- episode 17, I think, I believe. But he, yeah, he's also a Puerto Rican. Yes. And, yes. And, uh, yeah, and when, and when the, and we do a lot of, we do all the social media teasers, and then when I, uh, Put this out there it's going to be blasted and everybody's going to see the photos and they're going to see a resemblance right. it's like a cross between chief garcia and pitbull so yeah, yeah. hey it could be worse you could be Dale. <laughs> yeah then we have sergeant uh brian candelaria and you know we work together on the crt we're, we're going to get to that point of, okay. of 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 when we get there but we're going to have a have a beginning and we're going to have an end 
right? Or quasi-in, because it still ain't the end for you guys. But you already get into it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Ready, Can't get wait. Ready to dive into this? Did you notice they did that in unison? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll probably get that a lot yeah, today. You're probably going to get that a lot. They're literally dressed alike, except the damn on the collar. One got a lieutenant, <laughs> and the other has nothing. Just, hmm. yeah, well, they yeah, yeah, goes. All right, I want to. I want y'all to talk about growing up in Florida, what home life was, and just just tell the listener about that. Okay, yeah, I guess I'll start. Um, so you know, a lot of people don't really know, but we're we're actually were born in some very small town in Central Florida, and didn't last long until my mom divorced my dad. But then we moved to Miami. And uh, that's where we grew up. That's where we got the, the pit bull lifestyle and the melting pot of Cuban, Puerto Rican, and really all Hispanics, for the most part, all down in Miami. So that's where we grew up. Now, do um, you actually say Miami? Miami. Miami. There Miami. you go. Yeah. Don't, you don't, don't, again. Oh don't whitewash it for <laughs> us. Yeah, I'm sorry. Again. Lay it on there. <laughs> trying to be professional, too, right? Uh, yeah, no, he I, is a lieutenant and for the chief, but... But we're gonna save space. Up. Hey, I'm nobody, hey, Gabe. Nobody listens to this anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, nobody's gonna hear this. You can roll your R's. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> but no. So uh, you know, we grew up in Miami. My uh, my my mom married remarried when we were down there. I think when we were like three years old. Yeah. Uh, and she married a Miami Dade police officer, Cuban guy, uh, Omar, and um, he was a Miami Dade police officer. He did uh, twenty five years there. He did all you can think about in Miami. Um, so we grew up with that. My mom was really a stay at home mom. She's Puerto Rican. Um, she did at the end of our lifetime in Miami, she was a background investigator from Miami Dade. Um, she did that for what, five, six years, something like that. Yeah, quite a bit. I can remember. Yeah. She was there for yeah. a while. Miami Dade. And you know, and everybody's like, Oh, how, how's it growing up as twins and, and all that. And you know, we, we went to the same schools. We dressed alike for the most part. That all all those things that you people, still are, yeah, <laughs> right, right. for the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, everything that you think about. I mean, think about it. You have two kids born at the same time. We had a lot of hand me downs, so they we all had pretty much the same clothes. Shopped at the same places, um, but it was it. It's interesting. Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah, yeah I knew he it. actually I knew worked. There. I freaking yeah. knew it. I worked he as a model and modeling yeah. those clothes. Yeah, no shirt, no shirt, <laughs> no shirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was great. And it's funny because we, you know, with with school, you're kind of forced to live that kind of same lifestyle just because you got to go to the same school. We live in the same house. But then as we became adults, we kind of still found the same paths of careers. We we both went into loss prevention. He was at one Macy's. I was at a different one. Then I went to that Macy's. And that's when. Did you ever like cover a shift? Like he couldn't make it. Like you're at, you showed up and said you were him. No, because we were always we were in school at the time, college full time and work full time. So we couldn't. Our schedules were so different as far as what times we were going to classes and and what time right. work was. But you know, high school we kind of switched a little bit. The you know, thoughts play, crossed your mind. We did that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, in school, did that ever? Did y'all ever do any kind of? We did a couple Trickery. times where we switched classes. So what's what's crazy yeah. is that the high school we went to Gabe shaking his head no was an all magnet school. <laughs> all disgusted. So we had to attend actually some of the classes together. So we didn't have a choice because we were in the same magnet program. But some of our regular courses like our Englishes, our Spanish and our maths and all that, uh, we would switch just periodically. It wasn't a frequent thing, but they would notice uh, the teacher would realize like 
All right, Gabriel's not acting right. He's yeah, exactly. I was going to say, let, let's get into that one. Gabriel's not acting right. He's sleeping during yeah. class. Like, he doesn't do this. He's usually paying attention. and Something's going on at home. So right, the, right. <laughs> the detail is, so we had switched at English class. And, you know, I don't really remember the other times. I, we know it happened. But I get to class. I guess the you one day he's, that. Yeah. He, the one day he switched with me, he was in my classroom. So I go the next day to that class. And he's like, hey, Gabriel, let me see you after class. I'm like, sure, no problem. So then uh, I go up to him, and I'm, I was a good student, had a really good GPA. And uh, he goes, are you okay? You know, is something going on with you? And I go, no, why? And he goes, man, you were sleeping the whole class last time. And I was like, this guy over <laughs> here, so man, like, just did it to yeah. me, man. And that's just, that's just one story. Oh, oh yeah. I, 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 I feel bad now, but I, I kind of screwed him over once in high school pretty bad. But well, like I, mean, I said, you, you nobody, can't leave the teaser on here. Nobody listens to this, so go ahead. So it's we okay. were, you're in a so safe space, our, yeah, <laughs> except for the girl you're about course, to talk yeah. about. We were in music, and so we were taking a course in, uh, I think it was like piano or keyboard. keyboard. Oh, keyboard. Uh, okay. Well, like, <laughs> like Casio, you, like no, a Casio. you would actually have to like write music and oh, okay. you know, do okay. stuff like that. And so um, I think it was our final exam or midterm? It was a midterm. Our midterm exam was up. I High school for me was just kind of like, just going through the motions. I wasn't really like <laughs> sleeping. Die- sleeping right. Like, yeah. Right. So I didn't really take it too, too serious. It was for me too. So don't, I don't feel, yeah. don't feel bad. And so uh, the objective for the midterm was to create and compose a song or whatever you wanted. It could be hip hop. It could be classical. It could be whatever you wanted. Well, I was screwing around during the whole class hmm. and there's like 10 minutes left and I have to turn in something for a midterm. <laughs> Here and we go. <laughs> Gabe had already turned in his composition sheet with oh, the music you're sorry. on. Sorry, I didn't. This isn't. This is a magnet school, so let, let's break this down. Like this is not just writing one note, two notes, and writing. You know, row, row, row your boat. This is like multiple layers of music so notes, right? And, and I go. I look at the teacher's tray and I see Gabriel had turned in his sheet. So I took it and took it to my desk and literally plagiarized everything he had. And so and then I you know, put my name on top of the paper as well. And when I turned it in, I placed mine on top and Gabriel's on the bottom. Oh, man. And so when the teacher, how did it go? The teacher read. Like, so, you know, everything was normal, right? And then I got, when my report card came out, I got an F. I got an A. And he got an A. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I went up to the teacher and I was like, hey, what? how did I get an F? I mean, I, surely I didn't get an A, you know, but I, I don't think I deserved an F. And you're dying over here because you know. Yeah. So then he goes, you plagiarized. And, you know, he's showing me Brian's and mine. And I go, I wrote that. I mean, that's my song. Like, that's what I did. And so then uh, oh. I had to confront him during lunch. Yeah, he confronted me. He had a duel. Pretty, had like a duel. In yeah, the, he was pretty pissed. And so I felt bad. And, <laughs> you, well, well, you should. Yeah. 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 Then and, you felt bad after you got caught. That's yeah. Really, okay. And then so I told, right. the, I told the teacher, you know, what I did. I plagiarized him. I, you know. And so he ended up, he didn't fail me actually for the midterm. I think he ended up giving me like a C and gave you the A. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's not something. Yeah. Yeah. So for clarification, <laughs> because brother. this is only, only sound, uh, these guys are basically the island boys. Uh, I'm an island, island boy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a gang gang but, like, Gabe's like, oh, he's like squirming in his chair. We're the real island loose. boys. Yeah. I don't care what those guys have. Br- Brian's. Cheating on tests and sleeping yeah, in class, and right. Gabe's over here all. He's your typical to- island boy. <laughs> <laughs> while I'm here trying to make it, I made it. 
<laughs> y'all, hey, both of y'all made it. Yeah. Hey, you know, in y'all's intro, uh, I referenced Artemis and Apollo, the Greek, the uh, Greek archers, and, yeah. uh, and the twins. And it, y'all haven't heard that yet because any listener that knows that they know that I'm sneaky and I fumble through the words, so I have to most of the time get the uh, get the intro out before y'all sit down. So this going to be a nice little surprise for y'all. There's oh, a lot cool. of crying involved. Yeah, too. there's a lot of crying. It gets emotional. I, yeah, I was. I, you know, it took me like ten times to get it. Yeah. Really? No, see, I no, don't even know. Okay, you're being sarcastic. Like, okay. No, <laughs> like, okay. no. It, see, see how good of a liar I am. Yeah, you're good. You're really good. <laughs> so, just again for clarification, you you both shave your head now, right? So yeah. you look very, very similar. Did you have similar haircuts growing up? Well, the, so go ahead. Yeah, growing up, I would say you know when we were younger, as we got older, high school and stuff like that, we kind of started taking on our own. Look personalities you know still a lot of similar things same likings and sports but even even in high school i kind of started finding a different path in sports gabe kind of try to uh, tried out a couple things that were new like swimming um i did the track and field and the cross country synchronized swimming yes oh, okay. no, yeah. no 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 <laughs> yes synchronized <laughs> yeah all right i'm sorry um, I because to give growing listener, up, trying to look, give the, paint the picture for the listener yeah, growing up we played soccer since mm-hmm. we were five years old together yeah. same team all the way pretty much through high school. Yeah, we were good. And I think yeah. that in high school we realized, like, the kids were really good in high school, and we just weren't at that level. So it was kind of starting to look at different directions as far as sports and somehow or another. No basketball? Out. You know, I tried out once for a middle, <laughs> middle school team. I did. I didn't make it. The cool thing is in Miami everybody's short. So, I mean, yeah. we had the advantage. <laughs> yeah. But we were really short. Yeah. yeah but you are quick, though. I've yeah, seen, I've seen I've seen I've seen Brian in action. He's quick. Yeah, yeah. and quick. I and I think that you know finding that in in high school that I was like oh, I'm pretty good at track and you know I found that I was pretty decent at the 800 and the mm. and the and the, and the mile run and then cross country that, all that was new but then I was actually pretty good in cross country so I'm running 5Ks no. and uh, he recruited me to cross country my senior year. That's right. Yeah. Oh, so I'd, I, yeah, I'd never you just, done. You just started your senior year and ran that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, with soccer, I mean, soccer's a running shape, sport, yeah. right? You're so, um, and then I did do that one season in swimming and it wasn't for me. I mean, I did swimming when I was young and it wasn't bad, but just wasn't for me. And then he recruited me to go and try it out. And sure enough, I mean, you know, if anybody knows the cross country sport in high school, you're really trying to get your first five to the finish line. Cause it's all combined times, right? Like that's how you beat the schools or the, the other teams. And so I made my way from like, eighth in the in the in the on the team and then all the way to the fifth or fourth runner sometimes and so that's when i started to pick up and run 5ks on my own and stuff like that and did track but he actually recruited me to to cross country yeah and then you know it's trying to go back on the question that you originally asked about growing up in florida um to just add a little bit more context to it um you know like gabe said you know our parents did meet in in orlando Florida. They were both uh, Orlando police officers. That's where they met and got married. And then shortly after their marriage, they, they divorced. Um, just wasn't working out. And my mom moved back to Miami where she was. She wasn't born there. She was born on the island. But her family, you know, my grandparents and her and my my aunt moved to Miami after Puerto Rico. So she went back to Miami. That's where she met my father. Um, she was a Miami Gardens police officer for a little while when she moved back. And then she kind of, like Gabe said, was a stay-at-home mom. 
And like you said your stepdad was uh, Miami Metro Dade. Yeah. Yes. And so going forward, I know that he'll probably be brought up quite a bit on yeah. this podcast. My stepdad. Mm-hmm. So I met him on the ride along here. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, I consider him, and I think we both consider him to be our our father. You know, we have our biological Correct. father, which, you know, is I'm not gonna. He he's he does what he can. Um, but my stepfather, who I consider my father, is who brought us up. That's right? good. You ha- y'all have that relationship because there's so many. There's so many kids. I mean, hell, I, I had my own experiences growing up. There's so many people that don't get that. Right. Yeah. yeah. From a from a step parent. Yeah. Absolutely. And and when you look at it, when I look at it now, we were extremely lucky to have oh, yeah. such a a father figure. You know, because well, he it, had a great career and had it and had shit together, career. and he was well he was respected. Uh, I'll, I'll be frank; it's the reason why we're here today as cops. Absolutely, I mean, we idolized him for that. Absolutely, I mean, we we were very proud growing up. We always wore his T-shirts and. He bought his kids shirts that always said Miami Dade Police, and we were, I mean, we rocked it when he came home and he saw him in uniform. It was awesome. I mean, we all have kids. It's the same way when we get home. My son sees me in uniform. He lights up, and so, you know, yeah. we had that same reaction. So, at least for me, and I won't speak to you know about Brian, but I always, because of him, wanted to be a cop. Always. Don't, Brian's going to steal your shit anyway. That's right. He's like he's like he plagiarize here. He's like yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What well, he's a. Now, uh, so your stepfather, Metro Day, for the listener, that was what time frame was he on in there? So eighties in the eight, he got hired in the eighties, cocaine was, cowboys era. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. And it's crazy. Some of the stories he'll tell you about the hiring process um, in Miami at the time, um, because there was one. There was so much cocaine coming through the city. Yeah. It, hey, if it, the listener, if they want to see a great documentary, it's been out for a long time. It's cocaine cowboys. And it it's it's one of the best documentaries. But so in Miami was originally the kind of retirement community, Absolutely. and then it went from maybe having at the most a hundred, hundred twenty murders in a year to five hundred plus yep. in yep. in a matter of you know just a matter of like time. Yeah. So you know, my dad would talk about you know the hiring process back then, and uh, because there was so much cocaine coming through uh, Miami at the time. Um, I think what he said was <clears throat> at one point the department was requiring that you couldn't have used cocaine at all to apply. Um, and then they weren't getting enough applicants. And so then they shortened it, said, okay, well, if you didn't use cocaine in the year, within the year, you could apply. Then they lowered it to a month. Then they lowered it to a week. Oh, wow. And then they lowered it to that day. No, no. <laughs> within 24 hours, you have right. not snorted cocaine. Right. And, and that's just how much and so and how new cocaine was to yeah. pretty much not just Miami, but to the United States. And, and while and it, the, the drugs were coming up, basically, my Florida was a hub. It would come in yeah. Columbia. Right. And it would it would come in to it would come into Florida and Miami was the big city and basically just distribute out to the country. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. In and New York, New Yorkers were getting their cocaine from and, the Florida area. Yeah, and it just, you know, perspective-wise, you know, we didn't grow up. We were born in the 80s, but we don't remember too much of that craziness. But growing up and even going through college, there was drugs everywhere. Mm-hmm. Other I than mean, cocaine, what was the... Was the ecstasy. Uh, ecstasy, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a party mm-hmm. drug. I mean, Miami's that's right. a party. that's a party town and yep, city. all yeah. day. You could go anywhere, and people were offering all pretty much whatever you wanted. Yeah, now, heroin wasn't a thing. I didn't know about heroin until really I moved here. Yeah, um, CRT and, days, right? And then, <laughs> well, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. I'll t- I, we'll take yeah, okay. we'll talk about that. Um, 
but even meth, you know, we didn't have, we didn't know what meth was or, you know, none of that. We just, we knew ecstasy, but we didn't correlate MDMA with methamphetamine, you know, crystal meth and, and ecstasy. In y'all's high school, was it, was it, did it start getting kind of rampant, the use of, of drugs in high school? I think, well, so my mom did a pretty good job of making sure that she helped guide us in the proper direction. Um, where we grew up in, in West Kendall, not a bad part of town um, at all, but according to, I think, Alex Rodriguez, it's the hood. <laughs> oh, well, that's right. There's Kenny. a lot of places that are right. hood to him. But it's not, it's, not, it's not hood. I mean, it's got its problems, but it's not hood. <laughs> it's like Garland, Texas. Uh, Maybe. Kind of, kind yeah. Of ish, yeah. I mean, it's got like really nice spots, and then there's yeah. problem areas and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of, even a lot of officers had, you know, lived in West Kendall. So, I mean, it's not a bad, it wasn't a bad place. But you're going to, again, there's drugs everywhere and the exposure's everywhere. And so my mom knew that our homeschool at the time, which was Braddock High School, wasn't probably the best place to go to high school just because of all the the influences in the neighborhoods and and the kids that were growing up there. So she did everything she could to make sure we were going to go to a a good high school. And we, I mean, we applied to several magnet programs at different Mm -hmm. high schools all over the city and county. And we got accepted to Coral Reef, which is an all magnet school. And that kind of geared us. And so Coral Reef, our high school wasn't, because everybody there is in a magnet program, Every, it's kind of like having your own major. You can be in business, medical, criminal justice, music. I mean, you can do almost anything. And there's such a focus in education at that school that it's really hard to kind of really bring in such bad players. I mean, you did. we did have problems, you know, and we had some bad actors every once in a while. But yeah. probably nothing compared to what regular public high schools had in Miami. You had magnet school gangsters? They tried. Yeah, 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 yeah they be, tried. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, they tried. But no, I mean, my high school years, our high, I, I loved it. It was fun. Really didn't have many problems. So you know, we got, got lucky in that aspect. Got to sleep in class. And got yeah, to sleep right. In class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like the hammock in the corner. Brother, yeah. <laughs> um, so, gr- growing up, y'all, you said the biggest influence to get you on law enforcement was your stepfather. How much y'all wanted to emulate his, him as a person and a professional. Absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. And let me, let, I'm sorry, but let me, let me touch on that because I know Gabe spoke about it and, and I'll say 100% and everybody that knows me knows that I, I did, I, I idolized my father. I mean, I can remember being a kid and seeing him in that shitty brown uniform, that Miami-Dade uniform and saying, I want to be that, you know. Why? What, what, what about that uniform spoke to you? It's just the, the way he carried himself wearing it and the, just the, the level of, I don't know, just like the command that I guess he, he brought with it and how we walked with it and everything about the way he was in that uniform, I wanted to be. and What it represented. what Exactly, okay. what it represented, right? And then moving forward a little bit, not just him wearing that uniform, but everything he did, he was amazing at. If he was in SWAT, he was great. If he was in narcotics, undercover, he was great. If he was in robberies, homicide, public corruption, everything that man touched, he was great at. And everybody in the city and the county knew who Omar Carrillo was. Mm-hmm. Everybody. 100%. Even when he retired and, then, and stuff went down, they called him. Omar coming. Yeah, Omar coming. Yeah, Omar. on the wire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, he, so, he, so he was a legend in that department. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in my eyes. In that was. community. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I wanted, and, and Gabe knows this. I'm a, I'm, my nature is I'm super competitive. 
right? And and sometimes no, that, right, <laughs> no, right. I'm super competitive, and I wanted to be everything he was, and better. I wanted that for myself, and so I knew at a very young age that there was nothing you were gonna make me do, but I was going to be, and at the time, my in my mind, I was gonna be a Miami Dade uh, cop. Yeah, that that that's going into my next question. What? Y'all decided y'all you you knew all along y'all wanted to to get into that profession, right? Absolutely. Both, did both of y'all have that same feeling? I yeah, know what you just I, yeah, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, absolutely. for the same reasons. Gave yeah, for the I mean, same I, reason, I, oh, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. My dad, like I said, it. You know, I I think the drive for him is different. You know, obviously, this is where the twin separation comes in. Okay. I think mine was more of the aesthetics too, right? Not only did I idolize him, but it was cool. Yeah. You got my dad and. Back then, even in the early 90s, he still had that box Metro, and it said Metro Dade before they transitioned to Miami <laughs> yeah. Dade Police Department. So it was cool to see that green and white car pull up and him in uniform. His stories always interested me, right? He would curse a lot. So we're sitting at a dinner table. We knew our place. Just listen. Don't repeat. Yeah, yeah. And, you That's know, how Carmen is now with right. me. Right. Yeah. So we, like, again, we go back to having the kids, and, and my, my son's always asking questions. I'm like, uh-uh, we don't ask questions. You just If you're going to sit here and listen, you listen. And so, you know, that that just was such a, a cool lifestyle, I thought, you know, for me. And outside of the uh, idolizing him, part two is like, man, I want to be a cop. Electric boogaloo. Yeah, part yeah, two, uh, electric boogaloo. boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> Danny is punching the uh, screen right now, hearing this. Yeah, we're um, gonna keep it. Yeah, oh, I'm leaving it. In. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we, we may have y'all back for a part two, the Candelaria Twin Part Two Electric Boogaloo. Let's do Once it. Once Gay becomes Chief, and you and you, you're still gonna be the admin sergeant for for Chief uh, Candelaria, Gabe Candelaria. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look on his yeah. face. He might steal his uniform and start running yeah. shop wherever he's at. Honestly, nobody knows. Why is Chief Candelaria why sleeping is, on yeah, duty? Yeah. <laughs> It, somebody's gonna pull you to a side and go, Chief, are you okay? Right, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> you look a little bigger today. Yes, wow, wow, damn. Your tries are god, they got massive overnight. What are you, yeah, yeah, what are you on? Yeah. yeah, the higher you go up, you know, the, the less you work out. Uh, I think that's actually hey, not I'm true. I'm kidding. Hey, yeah. I stayed at the bottom. Look at me. Yeah, I'm just exactly. I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, look at Chief Garcia. Yeah, yeah look at Chief. Yeah, he's, he's, on no Jack. Yeah. he's on Jack. Wait, did you just say Chief Garcia doesn't work out? No, no, no not at all. He's whoa. actually. <laughs> like it. Uh, shout out Gabe yeah, for yeah. saying Chief Garcia is, is a slacker on the Peloton. Yeah, I, really, I think you yeah. might see him in a t-shirt and knows better. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So you you wanted to be a Miami-Dade officer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where I, did that, ch- what changed with, with both of y'all? Yeah, so, and, and it's the same, pretty much the same story. And Gabe, Gabe will talk about how he kind of, came over here and stuff like that. So when my dad retired, he retired in uh, January of 07. Um, 06. It was 06. 2007. He, re- I moved here in December of 06. We got hired in November of 07. So he retired in January of 07. Okay. You want to arm wrestle about it? No, it's fine. I mean, this is, no, hey, this uh, is the uh, conversations uh, we have. All no, I'm, I'm, how about a leg wrestling? Like That's right. Yes. Shirtless no, leg so wrestling. I, I, get on the floor and we'll, we'll um, we were can't in, now with the We were in college at the time at Florida International University. Where we were going to school full-time, work full-time. Um, again, I knew that once I was done with school, my I was going to Miami-Dade. And there was nothing anybody could do about it. We knew everybody. My dad had all the connections, yeah. right? So hadn't used cocaine in a day. In a day, <laughs> yeah. right? Twenty-four hour went by. I was good, right? <laughs> so crazy. Just FYI, that had changed, right? That's I'm not, sure that, yeah. it, and okay. that hey, and for the listener, that is not Dallas PD's policy no. either. So. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> so uh, at the time, um, 
of their of his retirement, my parents were going through some marital issues, some pretty severe mar- marital issues. So, and for people that don't know, Miami's full of distractions, full of it. Whether it's party party lifestyle, women, everything. I mean, it's just there's so much going on. Bible study. Yep. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Bible study. No, it, and and so it, it looking at it, it's hard to raise a family. It, it really is. There's too much going on. There's way too many distractions. There's way too many people that are trying to scam you and do a bunch of things there. Not and it's not all, it's not everybody in Miami. And I love Miami, so I'm not gonna. Of course, it down. yeah, but it's but it's just it is what it is sometimes. Um, but so their decision was after his retirement, they were gonna move somewhere else. Um, and they looked at a few places mm-hmm. uh, around the country, and it was decided that they came here to visit uh, my my aunt. And she was living in Allen, Texas. Her job in Miami had transferred her here years before. Allen was probably nothing at that no, time. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And so they came out here and they fell in love and put an offer on a house and got a house out here. So me being in college, um, I couldn't afford to stay in Miami by myself. And so I decided, I was like, well, what I'll do is I'll move to Texas, get a job, and at some point – I'm going to apply back to Miami Dade without finishing school. And so I get here. I register for uh, college part-time because I couldn't afford the out-of-state tuition. And I started putting my application in with Miami Dade and, and the city. And and that was around the springtime of 07. And we hit a recession down there. And it was the beginning of the recession, at least in South Florida, because they went on a hiring freeze. So... Um, I was like, okay, so what am I going to do? I'm 21 years old. I'm at that time. I'm thinking like I'm getting older. I'm not starting my career. I need to start jumpstarting this. Well, why don't want to, why don't I apply for some departments out here? And once Miami Dade gets lifts their restrict or their, um, hiring freeze, then I can just go back down there. So I put in my applications with Allen PD, McKinney and Richardson, and so, because that's all I knew. That's where I was living at. At the time, I was living you, in Dallas. You were aware of Dallas, though. Yeah. But I, I don't even think at the time that I've ever visited the city. Okay. I didn't want to be But here. you've heard of it. I did. And you're a Cowboy fan. I'm a diehard Cowboys yeah. fan, right? Okay. But I didn't, I didn't want to be here in Texas. It wasn't, again, now my vision of what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to go has been altered. You, and you decided to use the, the North Texas just to kind of a placeholder until you got back to... Right. Okay. Because I felt Miami. like I didn't have a choice at this point. Like, yeah. Uh, because of the dynamics of the situation and the, the affordability of being in Miami working par- full time, but making $8 an hour, I couldn't live there. So what can I do in between the time that I'm here to get back to Miami and to be a Miami-Dade cop? So, I th- and that's where I figured I'll just apply with some departments that I'm familiar with out here for the, you know, that I've been here a couple months. So I know Allen and the Collin County area. And so I put in and, you know, the process was very slow up there. And while attending class one day at Collin Community College, a buddy of mine that he's my friend now, Anthony Sharetta, I think he's at what, Prince George County or George Prince yeah. County mm-hmm. over by Balt- Baltimore, Maryland area. Oh, good. That's um, a Chief Aziz, right? Yeah, yeah that's where Chief there. Aziz is at right now. Um, he came up to me after class and said, hey, you know, you should consider putting in for Dallas. They have big city. They have so much opportunity, um, and they got a $10,000 hiring bonus. Yeah. That's right. So I looked into it, went online went as soon as I got home, and 
I read like, oh, 3,000 plus officers. Like, oh, that's pretty comparable to Miami-Dade. That's a pretty big department. And the opportunities were pretty much endless, it looked like. So I put in. Dale. And actually the process, and thank God for you know Detective Thomas Popkins, but the process was quick and, and easy compared to the other departments. So yeah. Gabe, did you just copy his homework on that one? No, I did not. I had a different route. So, you know, just like Brian said about a history with our parents. You don't really are Artemis and Apollo. Right. I love it. Uh, No, so, uh, you know, at the time when they made the decision to move, um, you know, I I had talked with my mom. And, you know, at the time I was, just like Brian, going to uh, school full-time at FIU. And then um, I was actually dating my wife, too, at the time. What's her name? Melissa Candelaria. So, you know, we were dating and... um, and, you know, I, I was kind of living my life, too, right? I'm, I'm 21, 20 years old. Right. Kind of, I saw the spiky hair of y'all. When oh, you, man. You, yeah, and they'll be posting some of those. Just man, if, I had, and, yeah. if I had my hair oh, back had, like, again. the Jersey Shore. The, yeah. The, the, was it? Little uh, frozen tits. The situation hair. Yeah. It was the Island Boys, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, we're the Island Boys. I'm telling you, we're the original percent. Island Boys. No, so, you know, we, we talked about it, and I just, you know, I was being honest. I said, I, I want to stay. I was a junior at FIU, and... I was dating Melissa, and I guess by the grace of God, my mom kind of blessed me at the time too to to stay. So we did, and um, uh, I stayed with my grandparents. And then, but shortly after they moved, my my parents brought them to Dallas, the Dallas area. And then, um, you know, I stayed at the uh, my parents' condo where my grandparents were living. And then, with a combination of you know, not that we were broke by any means of the stretch, but just you know, just to Brian's point, which was. We're not making that much money. My wife was actually, she was fine because she was going to UM. She was in a, you know, about to get her degree. And, um, you know, I approached her one day and said, hey, I w- I'm getting kind of homesick too. I want to I go. And luckily, she reached out to UM and they actually sponsored her on her last, uh, I think she had two semesters left. And they sponsored her to go to UNT. And so, man, that was, that was a blessing in disguise because I don't think she ever would have came if, if she wasn't going to be able to graduate the University of Miami. So then we moved, and um, I, I, I applied here for, I think it was Sears Loss Prevention Supervisor. It was an okay job. It wasn't bad, not knocking Sears. Uh, ran into the same problem Brian did. You know, I didn't, ignorant because I was young and dumb, but I was an out-of-state student at this point, and, you know, I'm like, well, I have my state driver's license. How am I out-of-state? But so now I had a reset, and then the curriculum here in Texas is, you got to take Texas history and, right. and U.S. history and all this stuff. and uh, Learn about the Alamo. That's oh, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so then, you know, now I'm behind almost a year and a half, two years in school. And same thing, I kind of felt like, well, I'm, I'm kind of stuck. You know, I'm not loving my job at Sears. Uh, Brian was already going through the background with Dallas. And, mm. and so I'm like, you know what, let me, let me do that too. Uh, with, with the caveat that my mom had told me that if you apply to a police department and get hired, you automatically become a state resident right? too. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I put my application in to the same places, McKinney, Richardson, Allen, and... and you waited on Dallas. Yeah, I waited on Dallas. Yeah. And, and also, and I'll, and I'll jump on this, is there was a... There was like a culture of like, man, be careful with Dallas, right? And, and I think you guys were just going through the drug scandal at the time too, maybe, or something... Uh, yeah, you know, there's always time. some controversy yeah, with Dallas PD, right? It's cyclical, yeah. Right. So, you know, they're like, oh, you got to be careful. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'll just stay to the Collin County area, no problem. And I actually went all the way through Richardson. And some point in, in, in my background with Richardson, I put in my application with Dallas. 
And um, I know I got hired by Richardson. I remember taking, uh, getting called in and, and getting the offer. And they only had two positions. Wow. Yeah. And so with the hundreds of applicants, I was one of the two that actually got the job offer. And, you know, just the dynamics there at the time, especially in 2007, they were a lot smaller than what they are today as far as even population wise. And I was like, yeah, no, thanks. You like, I appreciate it. But I was like, I can't do the small mentality police department. And so I, I put my, my, my prayers together and just left DPD to, to see if they would hire me. And, you and know, Brian, and, and Brian was in the pro- middle of it process. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. it got you closer towards the end yeah. because wow. he got hired as a pre-hire. And I know at some point Tom Popkin, Detective Tom mm-hmm. Popkin picked up my application or my, my background. And I felt like overnight it was done, but it obviously wasn't. But it was basically the same person he already looked at. Right. So he just right. like, same references, same yeah, parents. Yeah, right, yeah. So it was easy for him. I've done yes. this already. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Tom. Tom loves this podcast. And oh, he's yeah. Gonna, he's going to He's a great this. guy. Yeah, he is. Great, great guy. Great guy to Tom because he, he is. He's, he's a wonderful guy. Good dude. Um, no. So, uh, you know, I, and I think like two days before, because he had already got his academy assignment. Two days before his academy, I got the phone call from Tom saying, hey, you ready to go? You start Wednesday. Damn. Yeah. So, I, so I'm sitting here. I'm looking at, and I'm, I'm, I memorized Brian's badge years ago because mm-hmm. of all the reports we had together. Nine two nine four is Brian, and your badge is nine three two six. So in academy, so you're like, were you like on the your badge the highest of that class? I was the highest. Well, I figured I was the yeah. last yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. The last we one. Was in that close. Class. Oh yeah. Um, but just you know, so for context too, I, for me, just the move alone, and everything that we did prior to even. Once we got hired with Dallas, it was hard for me. It was hard to come to a place where I didn't know anybody. I didn't know this culture. I didn't know anything about Texas or Dallas other than the Dallas Cowboys. You that were, was it. You were fully intent on taking your talents to South Beach. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> right. that's right. And we were going to win not just one, <laughs> not just two. Uh-huh. Not just, uh, you know. Yeah. But, uh, no, we, uh, I, I didn't want to be here. And um, it took me a while to get used to this um, because I had left everything I'd known, friends, some family, all at home in Miami and came here. And everything about Texas is totally different from Miami, the culture, everything. And um, how so? Just out of curiosity. I mean. Well, so Miami is very, it's very Cuban influenced, right? It's a lot of Cubans there, very Hispanic, very Caribbean. Um, you have a way of life there with, you know, waking up in the morning, going to the Cuban restaurant, getting your cafe con leche, your, your coffee, your Cuban pastry. Patelitos. Yeah. So there's, you know, but you don't, and some of these things you don't realize until you leave yeah. and, and you, you appreciate the, the things that you had. Um, but growing up there, you don't think about, it's just the way it was. Right. Yeah. right. Everybody speaks you in Spanish in Miami. Here, nobody does, right? Everybody speaks English. Um, Imagine that. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but even the little things, you know, we, you don't have a, we don't have a beach here. We don't uh, – the friends that I grew up with there, it's a, we share the same culture yeah. um, and the same, you know, uh, traditions as opposed to you come here and it's kind of just really the, the – dominating hispanic culture is the mexican culture central american and so yes we're all hispanic and we all speak spanish but we all have different cultures even our spanish is different different accents different dialects and so everything was just so different and it happened so sudden 
um, that culture shock. It just, yeah, yeah, it was a huge culture shock to be here. So was it someone in particular or an incident or what made it okay to be here? Cause obviously you guys are thriving here. I think just time, um, the longer I got here and I would go back to Miami to visit and I realized like how fast paced life was down there. And some every time I would go down there, I was like, oh, man, maybe I need to be back in Texas to slow some things down, you know, and uh, got to appreciate the fact that I could live comfortably here. The cost of living was at the time way cheaper than it than it was in Miami. And uh, so um, but it took time. I mean, I I eventually at the age of 25 met my my now wife, Rosie, say her name, Rosie Candelaria, yeah. right? Shout so, out Rosie. Shout out to Rosie. Um, and so once kind of life settled in and I, my life started expanding and growing, you know, to a girlfriend and now wife and now a mother of two children, beautiful children, Michael and Elizabeth. Um, yeah, this is home now, right? This is my home and I don't plan on going anywhere. So good. So in the academy, y'all started the same class. Y'all started up. What was that? Like y'all sit next to each other, obviously. Yeah. You know, the entire yep. freaking yeah, the last academy. Name, so you had to sit next uh, to the person with your. <laughs> how big of a beating was that? I mean, okay. So you get you do have two. You know, you are the, you are so similar. However, you are different in your approach to right. clearly studying. So and staying awake. Apparently, I'm yeah, guessing yeah, it was the, the alarm clock in the so, class. No, but so it was different, I guess, for me too, because at that point, this is what I wanted to do, right? So I'm, I'm focused, and I'm gonna commit now 110 percent to this. So, not saying that I wasn't committing to high school or anything, but my focus, there was no drive for me necessarily in high school. High high school is basically the academy is basically high school for police. I mean, it really it's what right. it is. And you, right. Mm-hmm. And but for me, like now I'm starting what I've always wanted to do. This is a dream. Right. Yeah. So right. I'm going to take it I was going to take it seriously and I did. You know, I did study and did very well. So And we used that I mean we lived right next we lived in the same apartment complex, so easier to carpool, we'd carpool oh, once a man, week. That's nice. We yeah. study together. Yeah. You know, so it was a it was very very convenient being in the academy and and studying the same material. Oh yeah, yeah. So you just bounce like, hey, were y'all DT partners? Oh well, no, but they really? would do a lot of, hey, Candelarias, let's do the demos, and then they would slam us to the ground or have us slam each other to the ground. <laughs> right. And, you know, yeah, they definitely did that a lot. Who were your DT uh, instructors? Just curious. It was actually uh, Corporal Moore at the time. Now he's he retired from here as Chief uh, uh, Assistant Chief Moore. Oh, Avery. Yeah. Okay. Avery mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but he was our DT, and I think Evident would come in sometimes. Munoz, Parrot, Munoz, Mata. Yeah, Bobby Parrot. yeah, Mata, Mike Mata, yeah. yeah, yeah, nice, yeah. So, but yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. I mean, we, like I said, the competition. You know, Brian, I, I'll admit here was always the fast one too. So Avery would always get behind me, and I was always second in the class. So he's first, I'm second, and I'm trying my butt off to catch up to him or do whatever I had to do. But yeah, so who's who's older? Me, Gabriel, by a minute, and then now you're junior to your brother on the police department Ooh. by a handful of badge numbers. Yeah, and then yeah, who, and then who promoted first? I did. Oh no, 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 we promoted to corporal. At the oh, same that's right. Time. Yes, but somebody had to have a better score. I did. Oh, Brian, so now Brian for the is, listener, Brian had a better score. He corporal. did actually. He, man, I'll give it to him. I, I, I I'll be honest oh. to say that. You, hey, sorry to interrupt. What? Okay. We were on the team together when you promote, promoted the senior corporal. Yep, yep. 
And what did what was the carrot that I gave you? If you did well, you scored in the you scored in the seventies. Oh if, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, now what I said that if you scored above this this grade, I would give you what? Tell the listener. A Dwayne Wade rookie card. Not only a Dwayne Wade rookie card, but an autograph rookie autograph, card. Autograph, yeah, autograph. And, and, did, and did I live up to that? You did. Okay. I couldn't believe I'm, you did that. I still have that card like hidden away. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, have a bunch here, of, here I am, yeah, I promoted yeah, to lieutenant, yeah, and I yeah. get a, hey, you want to come on the podcast? Hey, hey man. Hey, <laughs> you know, which you, I love it, though. Being on the CRT at Southeast, you got perks. Yeah, I yeah, you tell. did get perks. I could tell. <laughs> they were just glad just to get re- rid of me. I just remembered that. Yeah. So, but again, it's senior a lot of corporal. It's <laughs> senior corporal now. Brian is senior to you still. Yes, correct. Is that driving you nuts? No, I, I got to give him a lot of credit for the senior corporal exam. I mean, he was dedicated. I think I, you know, for the majority of the listeners that have ever taken a, any ex- mm. police exam, you know, you, you're motivated. You you print out all the copies. You get all the books. You're motivated for the first week and overwhelmed, right? Yeah, there's a ton of information. It's a, you know, ton of information that you have to memorize, and so I did it. You know, I was like, yeah, I got this, and yeah, no, put it away. And Brian was. <laughs> studying you know every every time we talked he was studying because at this t- at this point we we're no longer living next to each other in an apartment i actually have my own house at this point yeah, he's married yeah i'm living with my girlfriend rosie mm-hmm. at the time and so uh you know he he went above and beyond and he gave me a call i think like two weeks before the corporal exam and he's like hey man have you studied you want to study together i'm like i haven't done anything and he's like yeah come on come meet me at the library so you basically turned into him in high, like he was in high school. Correct. He, he all switched. Okay. Well, he, you know, to his credit, he had a newborn child. Yes. Right. Which and is so difficult. I didn't have any children at the time. And I, and I, you know, my, my drive was different, right? Like I had let the first opportunity of taking the senior corporal exam kind of go by me and didn't mm-hmm. take it seriously. Um, but then I also saw my friends leave and do the things that I wanted to do, which mm-hmm. at that time was SWAT. Right. Mm-hmm. I was I was like, damn, man, I'm letting all these people are going to SWAT and I'm not right. Like, so what's the how do I get there? Well, I've got to take at the time you had to be a senior corporal to be in SWAT. So I was like, I got to take this thing seriously because I can't let another opportunity pass me by. I'm just going to let all this time pass by and then I'm not going to accomplish what I want to do. So I study. I mean, I had a shoebox full of. Uh, cards card you know flashcard i mean just stacks i mean i wrote all the general orders on flashcards and everything so my goal was i need to get in that first round because after that first round of promotions if there's an opening in swat i got to be available to take it i have to be available so that was my driving factor i was like there's nobody i'm going to do whatever i got to do to make sure and again that's my quote-unquote competitiveness coming out of me but Nobody was going to make sure, sh- you know. But it was for me. a personal goal. It was your personal yeah, goal absolutely. and what you wanted to do. And absolutely. you attribute that back to your dad? I do. Because, again, everything he touched, he took 110% serious and he was great at. And I had my goals, which, again, were to be exactly like him. He did SWAT in Miami Dade, the SRT. Um, and so I knew that. I wanted to be in SWAT, but how do I get there? Well, I got the first thing I got to do is take the senior corporal exam. And how do I get in? How do I get in the first time? Well, I at least try out. I have to score high enough to get in the first round. And so I, it's on me now. Mm-hmm. Nobody else. It's on me. So every weekend and every day I was studying. At, it was either at the library or I was at home. Once my wife went to bed, I was studying. 
and I did. I got, I think it was like, I don't know, out of 500 people, I was like 10th. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he killed it for sure. It's, you're like gritting your teeth. I'm kidding. <laughs> nah, no, but look, look for no, a guy no. that didn't study, all he did was two weeks with me, and he scored us like a 70-something on the damn test. And, yeah. and it, it was second-round promotions, but he got mm-hmm. promoted. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And so, so you when you were you promoted, uh, you gave you went to Northeast. Yeah, so I, I went to Northeast, and I was still just like came. I, I let the first one go by. I didn't even sign up for the test, and you know, I went to as in a very young point in my career. I think I had four years on. I went into deployment, working yeah. overnight, uh, the fourth watch hours, the AP to four A. Yeah, and I was lucky though, no, right? You. Plain clothes, doing surveillance at a patrol station. Four years on, I was very lucky. So, and I loved it. That was. The pinnacle of my career, plain clothes, man. Deployment, loved it. Did you ever consider narcotics, undercover narcotics? No, and I'm sure we'll get to that because I mm-hmm. ended up yeah. as a sergeant working in Vice, okay. which was yep. you know it's not that. narcotics, but it's you know undercover mm-hmm. investigative work. And so, um, but no, I mean, you know, we have to separate the plain clothes. It's not, it's not undercover work. It's strictly surveillance. It, it's it is sur- it's a surveillance platform. And it, uh, Lieutenant Rickerman came on earlier and he kind of went into great detail about, you know, uh, when he was in deployment at Southwest. Southwest was kind of the the grandfather of the deployment unit. Uh, right, Sergeant right. Conaway, he's called him the godfather of, of deployment here. So it it is a strictly surveillance platform. However, y'all do other things too, but but you know, it's not just but you 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 go around in a plain clothes and <laughs> your support for patrol as well as like crime response teams. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and there's no better thrill to watch a crime go, you know, happen right in front of you. And then you, but the problem is you can't get out of the car, right? Like yeah. you're the rules. You hear that recommend Lieutenant Rick. Yeah. You're not supposed right. to get out of the car. <laughs> I mean, Oops. but no. So yeah, I mean, Oopsie. that's, yeah. so my, my drive was, I'm, I'm in a good spot. And I think if the, if the timeline is right, you know, I had a break where uh, I did two years in uh, deep nights deployment and then they had a LIFO two positions citywide, which LIFO means last in, first out, uh, because of manpower. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got out, but then I went to, uh, I became the intelligence officer at Northeast, which was a brand new uh, position at the time. Nobody. Explain to the listener what that is. Um, well, I, I'm sure it's evolved since, since I had it at first at Northeast or even when it was first created. Um, but it was really an administrative job you're, you're you're reading reports and gather gathering any type of intel to give it to those crt deployment units patrol uh even even helping the crime analysts pull numbers statistical numbers and and really working for the deputy chief at the time um who was uh chief oh i'm drawing a blank what's his name um he was in narcotics as Acord. a cord yeah mm-hmm. great guy mm-hmm. and andy, so andy a yeah and so um you know, I did that for a year, but I realized real quick this this wasn't for me. It's man. a lot of numbers and a lot of yeah it, administrative it, work. But it's a community. It, it's a, a intelligence led policing model. Correct. Yeah, and and, and it's not and it it, it kind of fooled me because I thought you know intel like well we have our unit intelligence and it was not, it was far from that it was an, an administrative spot. Mm-hmm. And so at night and I knew I had the opportunity to now go and apply for days deployment as like a five six year officer, right? I can go. Oh my god. And I got it, right? So at the time it was kind of unheard of, but now it's normal. Yeah, <laughs> right. now it's yeah, normal. Right. But yeah, even, yeah. I mean, I, when I got on, yeah. I was separated by like 15 years with the rest of the individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was an old head. You know, in my squad, in our squad. Well, obviously they liked you. They, you know, you got it. Yeah, no, and it was it was a blast. It, those guys were great. It was a great time. So, 
So you both took different styles of, of, of policing out in the street. And Brian, I got, I, I, when you got out to Southeast, you did your training at Northeast and then you went Southwest or your South? No. So I, when I, I graduated the Academy, I trained at Southwest. Okay. And then after training, um, they just shipped me out to yeah, Southeast. That was going on back then. When right. Were, okay. they would, you would train somewhere and then they send you another place. And actually, Gabe trained Northwest. Yeah, I trained at Northwest. And then when we got, when that movement happened, it happened, it affected our whole academy class. Yeah. I got moved to Central. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And then you ended up at Northeast. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So when you, Brian, when you first got to Southeast, what did you, what did you think of that? So I was kind of pissed. I'm already laughing. Y- yeah. I was yeah. kind of mad because I had just spent all these weeks in training memorizing Southwest Oak, Oak Cliff, Cliff Street. Right. Yeah. And so now you're sending me to a place. Again, not even from Texas. So I don't even know anything about Dallas. And now you're sending me to a brand new place. I'm not being trained. So I have to figure this stuff out by myself. And all I knew, because I'm off training, I just want to catch bad guys. Like that's Well, there's plenty there. Right. And that's, the, that's that South Dallas, uh, Pleasant Grove area yep. of, of Dallas. And so quickly, though, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with not just the part of the city that I'm working at, but then the officers that are working at Southeast. Um, different, every substation has its different culture um, and, and different officers and personalities, but there was something unique about Southeast and people call it God's country. And I truly believe that it's, that's God's country right there. Um, but, you know, I had the opportunity, I met you and I've met a ton of other people and, that's how I grew in this in this career was being at Southeast and and hanging out with you and it's yeah great when you got uh you, we had an opening on the CRT on uh shout out the uh, Sergeant Robert Grant yes he, uh, he was running our team and uh, you know he probably he couldn't wait to retire to get away from me terrorizing <laughs> yeah. him I think from everybody yeah he, I don't blame him yeah Lo- I miss that guy God he's yeah. some of the great like, sergeant great person yeah and then great person. a great sergeant started yeah. with being a great person then it, that just being a great sergeant just kind of came with it. So when you got on a CRT, can you talk, tell the listener about that? Yeah, so I'd been at Southeast for a little bit, and uh, let me backtrack a little bit. I had known when I went to Southeast from Southwest after training, um, at some point, me being at Southeast for a little while, um, I kind of took a liking to chasing dope. And when several officers at the station knew that that's where I was going with my uh, patrol career, they turned me to you, Joe, um, to like really hone down on how to be good at chasing dope. And so I leaned on you a lot. And, you know, there are some stories there where I text you about some stuff and information (laughs) and you would crack jokes or whatever. Okay. Yeah, it was. Okay. So one of the stories is I get a phone call from a number I didn't have to say. I didn't know. And then I get this long, like two minute, two minute uh, voicemail. Oh, this is uh, Officer Candelaria, and I'm on the uh, evening CRT. And what it was is like uh, y'all had there was like a CRT a made up for like yeah. a burglary. It was a, basically like a mini burglary task for it. Forsha, right. Forsha was running. That's that. right. That's right. And and you were telling me about some uh, dope house on Blueberry, That's right. and uh, you were you were educating me on that there was a. Uh, an addict out front right <laughs> raking the the dirt and you let me know that that was a common that that was commonality with drug houses that that sometimes the main dealer would let the uh the addicts work out there and they would be 
paid in t- yeah. return with a with a crack yeah, rock. In, in case you didn't know. So yeah, yeah I, man, I actually I listened to it several times and wrote all that shit down and I studied it. Like I had flashcards made up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you did awesome. for the test. Yeah. So what people don't know is that I was trying to get in your good graces, right? I I, I wanted to learn how to do be really good street cop and, and dope chaser. So I you know when people said reach out to you, I was like, well, how do I show Joe that I'm interested in this work? And how does he trust me to bring me into his little quote unquote crew or, or click? And it, it's click. definitely by leaving a two minute voicemail, right? Explaining right. the nuances you know, of, I'm of just, drug dealing. I fell in love. I'm a young cop, and I <laughs> was trying to do everything I could to. I'm just get taking it. notes, man. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe sitting over here gritted. Like, it's great. So at like some, said, nobody listens anyway. Don't worry. But at some point, you you know, we ended up kind of not really working together in patrol, but you would help me out and. Yeah give me some information and you'd kind of like start guiding me in in the ways of quote unquote dope chasing in, in all seriousness know that you know seriousness i i liked you as a person and i saw your eagerness and and to be a proactive police officer it is kind of you're in the minority really i right, mean to do right. that type of work i knew you were going to do that type of work with or without my influence or work are working uh, with me. And I, I was lucky enough to have a lot of veteran officers that taught me that did not really exist. Whenever you hired on, they kind of, that, that type of style of policing was kind of, kind of going away for a lot of, of a lot of different reasons. But you know, there just weren't that many people that was experienced in that. I saw you were going to start doing that. And I saw some other officers, young officers try to do that type of work which is very scrutinized and you really need right. to know you need to know your research and seizure you know know how to report write reports and also just talk to people and also interact with people in that drug world i did and i saw them get in trouble right and a lot of it was just because they didn't know they any didn't better know. and right. i did not want that to happen to you and that's why i was like you know when then we had a we had an opening on the crt i was like come on you know yeah. apply yeah and and so going to the crime response team, the CRT at Southeast, um, you were there and a bunch of the other guys that, you know, we still Mark Bacon, Mark Bacon, Robin Rivera, uh, uh, Travis French, Helen Gard, Kennedy, Kennedy. So, um, you know, it was kind of a eye opening experience for me because I guess in my mind, I kind of knew how to chase dope already, but not really. No, not really. <laughs> not and, really at all. <laughs> um, but, but Joe took it very seriously and, um, out the out the gate we were you had me doing a mock uh trial where i was testifying and you were the prosecutor and or defense attorney to prepare us for court testimony and the importance of it and you know as as my career continued i realized you know how important that that is and was to be ready like we, i think we take it for granted as as cops you know about testifying in court like oh yeah i remember this arrest i'll read the report when i get to court that day and, wing it right just wing it but you know what is our job right and our job yes is to arrest offenders and bad people for crimes they commit but it's also prosecution right making sure these people pay for the crimes they committed and when i remember specifically you asked the question during the mock trial which which was you know what's probable cause can you define probable cause and i had a hard time explaining it and um, you said you're not the only one that can't really define it. He wasn't plagiarizing, right? I he didn't plagiarizing. have Gabe's <laughs> Gabe's notes, of right? That. So, yeah. but you you explained how you know that officers know in the back of their mind what probable cause is and how to get probable cause and when they see it, articulate, but it's, but it's articulating it mm-hmm. and why you're doing what you're doing, right? 
so that stuck with me even to this day. So, um, but being in CRT with you guys, um, it helped me. It helped me become a better officer. You, you, you know, stress the importance of case law. You know, case law is always changing. Um, there's always new case law coming out. And you, you did. You would buy books, all the updated versions and stuff like that, and, and stress the importance of that and how we relate that to what we were doing, which was chasing dope dealers, that that's what we were doing and justifying if we were had to kick in a door at a house, why we were doing what we were doing. We're just not kicking a door just because we know it's a dope house. No, like we have to articulate. We have rules. Right. We have rules and there's people have their, you know, constitutional rights. Right. So, you know, we have to make sure that we're in the confines of the law and policy of the Dallas Police Department. And, you know, you stress that importance to everybody on the team. And I think and I know that that made me a better officer. And it, and it clearly shows now as a sergeant me being in patrol, me teaching the younger guys what we can and cannot do. And when there is a question, I was like, hey, let's go read something. Let's go pull up some case law. And even when it catches me off guard and there is, there is a troop that says, well, case law says this, pull it up. I'd like to read it. And I think about you. Like, good. This is what Joe King would do. Hmm. You know? And Well, I, I saw the importance, but everything that I, by the time we started working together is something that I learned either the hard way or I got lucky that it didn't become learning by the hard, the hard way. Right. Right. And so I, so I, I see a, a need for courtroom testimony and how critical that is from a prosecutorial standpoint after going out there having fun, chasing people down and kicking their ass and if they need it, and right. then throwing them in, in the jail and writing a report and getting it past the jail sergeant, it goes well beyond that. Sure. If you want to make a difference in that community, you need that you want to get you know, you want justice to occur in the courtroom. Sure. And that's when I tried to stress writing our reports for the courtroom and from and I wanted to prepare people because this department still does not prepare people no. too well no. to pro, to testify and the and, importance of it. No, exactly. And you do you do not want to get a bad reputation at court with a judge, a prosecutor, or a defense attorney. A defense attorney sees you as being weak up there. He'll he'll lick his chops when you yeah, you're rip you apart. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they'll rip you apart. So. And, and a side note, so that's why I started that courtroom testimony class, and, and everybody that went through did not look stellar. But at that moment, you learn right then, damn, awesome. this is something I need to work on. Absolutely. And it kind of humbled. And I think that's important. I'd really you be humbled and made self-aware within amongst your peers as Absolutely. opposed to in front of a judge, a jury, and a prosecutor who sees your name on a report and go, I mean, I'm going to plead this. embarrass you in front of everybody. It, and that's, you know, it, and when a defense attorney, they're doing their job. Right. If you do not prepare for your case and for your testimony as an officer or as a detective, that's on you. The defense attorney, you can't take it personal. The defense attorney's job is to do their job is to throw up smoke and mirrors or make you look silly and lose credibility. That's right. That's her job. And it's up to you to prove that. And actually, on a sidebar, the wellness unit uh, that we just got going here in DPD, I'm going to, because part of wellness, there's anxiety that comes in different forms on this job and in and different aspects. Our department... When you have to go and testify and you don't have the uh, if you're not equipped with the education on it and also the style that can cause anxiety to get in that that witness box. This wellness unit, I am going to start up a I'm going to I'm going to kickstart that testimony class again. Good. And I'm going to yeah. put it out there for our officers to come and I will run it in here, probably in this room and we'll 
will help officers in that respect. That's awesome. No, that's great. It's needed, and I'm I'm glad that you got some from that because I. Oh yeah, no, and I, and I got a lot. I mean, I, CRT at Southeast with you guys. I mean, my lord, I, we went through so much, and uh, and uh, I also believe that that's when we were in CRT is where we started to see maybe the shift and uh, in in command staff and the shift in police work. How so? Well, when we got well, when I got to Southeast in '08. Um, it just kind of seemed like everybody, all officers were doing their thing. No, no holds barred. Nobody was getting in trouble much. Um, command staff would leave us alone for the most part. I mean, we had our, our problems with some commanders, but nothing crazy. But then it just seemed that maybe the, the focus and the ideology of policing kind of went away from, started to go away from proactive policing to more call response. It's reactive. It's yep. reactive mm-hmm. policing. But all I knew was proactive policing, right? And that's all we did in, in CRT was proactive. You know, we weren't responding to anything. We were proactively looking for dope dealers. And um, there was a point in time, and I think it was when, can I say his name? Uh, major Stokes yes, was uh, our major and started kind of giving us pushback on what we were doing. Yeah. And really wouldn't listen to whether we had case law or we were in the confines of our policy. We were staying within our policy. It was just the image. The or perception. The, the perception of, it, yeah. of what the, we were doing. Honestly, the potential perception of it. wasn't actually the perception. Right. It well, even the just the, aden- yeah. the, da- the dangers associated with yeah. kicking in a door to a dope house with dope dealers and guns and, and all this stuff. Um, the perception of, well, we're going to get into a shooting or we're going to force a shooting and I don't think we were ever involved. No, I, I've uh, I literally chased out from right off of training in '97 all the way up to uh, September of 2016. I've never had the pull trigger. I've been involved. I was at the scene of two. I've been shot at on one, and I have uh, I've been there for two other officer involved shootings. But the uh, amount of contacts that we had, yeah, and uh, the amount of uh, really violent people that we encountered. Uh, I'm gonna chalk it up to a lot of luck, but also a lot of uh, a lot of skill, skill and, and surprise factor. Yes, you know? and you, when being the uh, being the aggressor right. and commanding the situation, I think helped a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, you're right. It started definitely taking a toll. So, Gabe, whenever Brian did he share any of these crazy ass stories with you from the? No, you did. Like, oh yeah, all you, the time. Oh, okay. no, he did. He did. <laughs> and you know, if, if we're gonna be honest here, there was times where I was actually like, dude, you need to. Yeah, chill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like, what yeah. are you doing, man? You know, and he would, again, I didn't know you at the time. You know, he, he would always talk about you and show me your text messages. Oh, you know, what, but what, what? Never mind. We're not yeah, going to no, no, yeah. no picture text picture text message. Yeah, <laughs> Joe has never sent a text message if yeah. anybody's looking. No, yeah, no, and 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 I think you ended up getting. You know, Brian actually uh, got me to start sending you pics randomly too. Yes, <laughs> and then <laughs> I got all really of them. <laughs> But no, I mean, I would Surprise tell him, like, hey, man, are you sure what you're doing is right? And he was like, oh, case law and the, for in department mm-hmm. policy. You know, I, you know, I was just thinking, okay, well, cool. Be careful. Yeah, be careful because, you know, it's just like in any department, sometimes if they want to make an example out of you, they will. And Absolutely. So that was always in the back of my you mind. Catch the wrong person at the wrong day. And, and yeah. Right. They'll find whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you sneezed wrong. And hey, you're, you know, they got you. So, yeah. You get caught on the camera sneezing wrong. They yep. they can get you. Oh yeah. So that w- that was really it. I mean, but he was. I know he was having a lot of fun. He would always tell me the stories. 
All right, Gabe, I got a, I got a question for both of y'all. How do you think, Gabe, how do you think Brian differs from you as a cop and, and as a person and a cop? How do you think y'all differ? I mean, holistically, uh, he's always the more competitive, right? Like he, he had his goals set way ahead of time, right? Uh, you know, it, for the people that know us, we definitely have taken complete different career paths. We just have. And, you know, a lot of some information is new to me today, but there's also obviously I've known this guy my whole life. Um, but, yeah, he's he's goal driven for sure. And I'm goal driven to a point, but I, I don't I don't look at things five years in five years in advance. I just don't. Um, I, I didn't even think I'd be here today as a lieutenant. Just not wasn't in my wheelhouse. Just did it. You know, it's one of those things that it's organically happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny because I, I just met uh, with retired Chief Spivey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chief had lunch with him, and um, we had a little break. And he asked me that question, like, "Where do you see yourself in five years?" And I just said, "I don't know. I take it one day at a time." Yeah, you know, that's just that's just me. It's my personality. You can ask my wife. It comes to you. Yeah, if, when it, what will come to you comes to you. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. What I do, I, I'll give it two hundred percent. Yeah, but. I just go where you know, where where the flavor of the day is. Right, mm-hmm. it, Brian. So, how do you think you differ? Well, yeah, like so. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. I mean, I'm super competitive, um, not just with, uh, with everybody, with, and even Gabe doesn't know. Even with him, like mm-hmm. to this day, and uh, um, you know, it, he took a different path. I knew where you know I wanted to go to SWAT, and I was going to be there now. Where I'm at now, I never thought would happen. I never thought I'd be a sergeant, right? I uh, never thought I'd leave SWAT. I thought mm-hmm. I was going to retire. Out of We're going to get into that. And yeah, while, yeah but. absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, Gabe, you know, again, and it, it's kind of been like that with Gabe, kind of just like he takes things day by day and as they come. I've always kind of been in, you know, I'm going to do this, and I know I'm going to do this, and I'm going to work extremely hard to get what I want, and nobody's going to beat me at it. Um, and the competitive nature, I mean, there's just, I mean, even Gabe doesn't even know this and I'll, he's going to know today, but like, uh, studying for the, my sergeant's exam, we were studying at the same time for our promotional exams. Uh, his test for Lieutenant was just a month before mine written and the assessment. So I knew what he was scoring before (laughs) I took my test. Yeah. You laugh. Mm -hmm. So the written came and he scored. It, you know, whatever you got out of it, I think it was 25th out of mm-hmm. yeah. whatever, how many hundred people, a couple hundred people took the test. And I'm like, fuck, I got to score better than a 25 on this test, right? Like I got to be better than 25th. And so I written score came out and I was 10th. I was like, okay. But Inside then the assessment, he's, he's jumping. Right. Yeah. So, and the assessment <laughs> comes around. And that, you know, as you guys know, assessment centers can really push right. your, your grade up because it's or down. Worth, or down or because down. it's worth 70% of your overall score. Well, Gabe jumps from 25th to 8th. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Yeah. I can't this even is unattainable. Go up 17. <laughs> it's going to be hard to go up two spots being at 10, right? Like, I got to go up to 7th. And, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, like, I got 300 people I'm competing against. Like, oh, man. So, 301. So when I was studying and I had like that month extra, I guess, in advance, mm-hmm. knowing what he got, I was making sure that I was going to do better. 
overall. I should have never studied with him. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah. <laughs> but that's just what goes through. That's how. You, that's okay. That's what makes mind. you tick, right? Right. That's. I mean, that's. And it's not just him personally, but even like when uh, walking into the auditorium to take the written, I'm looking around at all 300 people, and I'm You're like, sizing everybody up, yeah. I'm gonna do better than every single one of you. That's how I'm looking at it. I'm going to outdo you guys because I've put the work in and nobody's going to take this away from me. So you both knew you wanted to be police officers. So there was really never another profession. No. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you see Gabe doing if he wasn't ever a police officer? What else could he do? Man. (laughs) Synchronized swimmer? Yeah. Synchronized (laughs) swimming to to classical music. Um, Wow. We did wear the Speedos. Um Mm. You know, it's a good question. And, you know, he may have, I think, I think maybe loss prevention would have probably been something. And I know that's kind of law enforcement-ish. Um, but I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know if there's anything interesting that Gabe would have done other than something in that realm of investigations, maybe for a private company or working for, you know, like a bank or something like that to investigations. Gabe, what about Brian? What else could he do? Raking leaves in front of a house. That's for yeah. sure. Paint it with a yeah. rock. Raking yeah. the dirt. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, there wasn't no grass out there. A DJ. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Hey, I mean, it wasn't Brian. What else would you do? It was Gabe. What else would Brian <laughs> yeah, do? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Quit, quit jumping the question. Yeah. Here. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's almost the same thing. I mean, we had our minds set for a long time. So, I mean, it's hard to imagine anything different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I can give my own answer and it's, you know, about myself and, you know, you know, we all went to, well, Brian already did. You might as well uh, go ahead and do that also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we went to magnet school for music. Right. And I always thought, you know, I'm not a great musician, but you know, it was interesting for me. Right. I, I did music for a long time and I was like, Oh, whatever. I'll, I'll figure something out. And, you know, I was, some part of me wanted to major in music and never went down that path. You know, I still, I taught myself drums. I, I still do karaoke like once a week at home. I'll, I'll bring out the, uh, the keyboard and, and still play a little bit, but now it's just a hobby, right? Like now, and I enjoy it. And I, I try to pick it's up relaxing. The, yeah, yeah. I try to pick up the guitar. Couldn't learn it. You know, I tried. I don't know what it is about that guitar. I just could not learn. I would love to do that. You know, got into woodworking, and, you know, started building barn doors and different things like that. So I just started picking up hobbies and, you know, I'd, and I, I, I was good at it. I mean. Gabe, is that, is that how you relax? You think, is that, is, that, is that what you do to kind of recalibrate your mind? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny is, you know, now I, I have such a busy lifestyle, right? Busy, busy work hours. But, yeah, I mean, definitely before I promoted, for sure, I was, that was my, my woo-saw, right? Like. If, if I could spare a weekend and somebody wanted a barn door, I'd make it. If they wanted a, be- a workbench, I'd make it. And uh, and it definitely is relaxing. Time flies and you're in your own zone. Um, and it was great. It is great. And I can still do it today if I wanted to. It just It takes a lot of time. Yeah. I want to uh, I want to touch on some critical incidents here. Okay. Here in a mm-hmm. minute. Uh, but I, first, I want to tell the listener – about a little story of one day Brian and I were on the CRT together. Oh, my God. All right, Brian. So I'm going to tell – before we get into some critical incidents that are going to go in a lot of different directions, I want to give the listener a little story from when we were on the CRT. So is you and the, I – Is this the roast Brian hour now? It, it, yeah. It, it, it won't be an hour. It'll just be a few minutes. Okay. So – uh, 
but it will be the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> so you and I, we're in, the, uh, you're, we're in the squad car, and we're going uh, Casa Cavasso. Shout out Casa Cavasso. They're off Jim Miller. Greatest Samuel, Tex-Mex yeah. restaurant there Great is. Great uh-huh. yeah. 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 And uh, so we're sitting there waiting on everybody else, and a call comes out, and it's been holding it. And in the comments on the, on the NBC – um, it says so basically it was a, it was an outcry from uh, from a complainant and basically said that they had been assaulted, sexually, and, yeah. sexually assaulted. That's right. And and then it went in. It had a comment and it said by a certain person or type, right, right. or profession, potentially. Potentially, yes. So you're like, hey man, this this is effed up. This. They're call they're they're calling this guy speech the rapist. That's right. And I yeah. So yes. I, I look you had the most serious of look on your face. Just absolutely. I thought it was his him. nickname yeah. that they yeah. were that'd be a very unfortunate for calls himself yeah. speech. Yeah. And so I look at it I look at the call sheet and then I look up at you and stare at you for about thirty seconds and I go, Speech therapist. And you had <laughs> A different shade of red on your face I've never seen before. Well, and, between and, and the word gr- therapist, there was like a small space uh, between mm-hmm. the <laughs> and rapist, right? Yeah, so, so it red I, in my mind. Yeah, like, it's like I can see speech I can see the that. rapist, like, and it's hey. talking about a rape that occurred. Yeah, so I get, next, it yep. always reminds me of the the. The Celebrity Jeopardy with Sean Connery. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, that is great. I'll take... Speech uh, <laughs> the rapist. <laughs> yeah. So, but the look of just utter defeat, it, it, you know, on, on his face, and, and the grin, and was, the grin, and you were like, you asked, man, you're going to tell everybody else on the team, are you? That's probably like it, 10 no, plus years ago. It, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it still resonates haunts, today. Yeah. Nobody yeah. listens, though. Nobody listens to this. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> the the so, best part is, and, and if anybody knows Brian, he does not lack confidence at all. No. So to imagine, like, number one, like the first thing I ever saw of you was just just striding through the southeast like you were 10 like feet he, tall. Like he owned right. the keys to the door. Yeah. That's like, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so to imagine Brian just defeated and just deflated. Is and in front of Joe because it's not going to be kept secret. <laughs> you know what I'm what? saying? It's not going to like I think everybody that I knew, whether it was in the department or family wise or people down in Miami for some reason, got this text message from Joe. And they will now, oh, Brian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's going to look it up and actually yeah, screenshot yeah, yeah. The, right. the the call. Sheet. That's going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> no, actually, I think yeah. I think Visinet goes yeah. back that far. So I'm going to, dude, look at the call hey, sheet. I'm uh, serious. Man, that'd be, be funny. Yeah. So, there. so Gabe, I want to get your get your thoughts on on this topic. This, mm. uh, the speech, the rapist. Uh, what do you? What do you? This is you just recently heard about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you told me, and and I was like, man, I wish I was a fly on the wall there because he is. He never gets defeated. I'm usually uh, the butt of the jokes too, so it's usually on me, right? And then he tells me this, and he's like, don't tell him anything. Yeah. I, I'm gonna wait for this day. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, oh, I can't great. wait. Well, and, and and for for the listeners and for anybody. I, you weren't safe at Southeast CRT, oh. or even just at Southeast. Third watch, for sure. Th- third watch, absolutely, which is the evening watch. But uh, you were not safe. It, it, I remember a guy named Officer Bird, oh. and there w- happened to be one day a dead bird in his <laughs> mailbox, <laughs> in his mail train, at work. It seemed fitting. Right. I, mean, it, no, I, don't, I, don't, I know mean, that's how I don't know who unsafe did that, but. you are at Southeast, <laughs> and even more so at Southeast CRT. 
What, do you remember at Southeast when somebody, I don't know who, somebody, <laughs> you know those little tiny dog bag, the bags of dog food they give away at a festival? And yeah. So somebody somebody had cut the end off the dog bag and they put it up in a tall <laughs> mail tray. So there was a short officer like myself had to reach up and see something in his mail tray and he pulls it out. Well, the, the dog food bag was open on the other end and just, just it ended up all over the place. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. It's probably yeah. still there. Yeah. 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 So I tell that listener that, that, that story. It's it's funny. You and I, we've we, we jo- been joking about what, the decade, and it yeah. still brings a smile. Yeah. And, no, uh, it's. Yeah. yeah. And now um, that's it's embarrassing I think I'm still gonna, to this day. I'm going to go to Spirit's Halloween store and see if they have that costume. I'm going to go as that. Is, that's what I'm going to try to go. You're going to go speech to race me? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to have a call them mask them if they have that yeah. in stock. Anal hey, bum you, cover. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? They may, they'll be flying off the shelves now with this when it's it. That's right. So. So now we're going to cleanse our palate with some, some critical incidents. All right. So, Brian, I want to talk about the Dixon Circle shooting and when that happened. Can you kind of just tell the listener? Well, first I want to say Dixon Circle is a part of South Dallas that is, it really seems like it's its own city yeah. within South Dallas. And the community is very tight. It's very crime ridden. And usually, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, they kind of policed themselves over there. That's right. And uh but it is very crime ridden, it's very gang ridden. Mm-hmm. And it's just I'm, I want to lead up into uh, a a shooting that happened over there and can you kind of tell a little bit about that and your role in that? Yeah, so the officer that was involved in it, officer Rowden, um we were we were buddies um and at that time we I mean we would even hang out sometimes off duty, so we were pretty tight. Um, at the time I wasn't in CRT, I was just on patrol and I was riding with my old partner back then, Keith Lewis, and we would meet up with Rowden. Rowden was on our evening detail. There was two shifts. There was a 3 PM to 11 PM and a four to midnight. Myself and Keith were on the, uh, late shift and Rowden was on the earlier shift. So routinely he would be out a little bit earlier. He'd usually snatch a couple calls or go to Seven Eleven or something and kind of wait for us to go to get off detail and then go chase some dope. And then that day, um, I'm in the, uh, I'm at the station. We're all getting details over with and we're getting our stuff together, our bags, putting it in the, in the squad car. And I didn't know where routing was at. And some point, and I didn't even know he answered a call. And, uh, the call that had come out that I guess he had answered was there was a dude that was duct taped and tied up basically being kidnapped and taken into a house over there in Dixon circle. It's like a hostage situation. It sounded like, yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. And so him and a couple of other officers were headed that way. Um, but I had no clue at the time that they were even on this call. And while sitting in the, uh, at the station, I hear routing get on the radio, but the voice that came through that radio was not routing. It was a very deep grunty, like, authoritative voice and he was calling for Began, officer Began at the time and he was saying you know Began, get over here now you know i mean just i mean just you could tell this stress that was in his voice and i'm like what the hell is going on right like he doesn't ever sound like this and that's when i looked up the call see what he was on and i'm like oh okay so this is probably a legitimate deal like somebody did get kidnapped and he's they're getting into some some stuff right now And then, I don't know, shortly thereafter, he gets on the radio and he says, shots fired, we got somebody down. We got, uh, I think, someone down or one down. And 
and I'm like, oh, dude, I got to go. I got to go check on my guy. And so me and Keith, we haul ass over there. It rains police. Everybody from Southeast and their, and their mother is going out there. When I get there, I don't remember exactly where on the street this occurred. I know it was off Dixon and whatever side street that was um, that the shooting occurred. But I see Rowden on the sidewalk pacing back and forth, drenched in sweat, stressed out, right? So I'm like, okay, something, you know, it's it's for real, right? Um, and again, I don't know what's going on. Uh, all I know is I want, you know, I got to take care of my buddy. So I asked him, you know, what do you need? We got to get you somewhere. Um, myself and some other people, I think, got him into a squad car, get him some AC because it was hot that day. It was the middle of summer. It was probably like 105 degrees. And I remember asking him a few times, like, let me, let me, you want a dip can? I'll go get you a dip can. You know, is that, that could help you kind of calm down. And I remember sending somebody to go get a, a can of snuff. You know, I think it was like Copenhagen or something. Um, and while we were there, um, it wasn't a very large crowd. And like you said, it being a tight knit community, anytime something happened that involved police crowds always kind of formed naturally in that area. Um, but all I knew is that there was a shooting and that's all I, that's all I knew about. I didn't know anything else, an officer involved shooting and that the guy, the suspect was dead. Um, in front of the actual house where the call came out, I think it was Chief Elsie maybe at the time. Yeah, she, she was, was southeast. Okay. Her and a sergeant were using the trunk of the car as a uh, kind of the, the command post. And, you know, we had to, you know, cut off or set up a crime scene on the street, place a barrier between crowd, the crowd and, and the actual house and wherever the crime scene was at. And, uh, again, small crowd, no, nothing big. But at some point I hear somebody say they shot him in the back. Well, no way in hell anybody knows anything because this just happened. I don't even know what the hell happened. Um, and the only one that's going to know is is the officers that were there and routing himself. And that just led into a domino effect where more and more people start showing up. More and more people got aggressive. More and more people were questioning and saying that we shot this guy in the back. And what looked like was going to be just another officer involved shooting with its normal protocol and measures taking place. Now, we're looking at a potential riot or kind of maybe a civil unrest. The crowd got from a couple of people yeah. to maybe a couple hundred people like this, like quick. And we quick, quickly realized we needed more resources. I think we called Dallas Sheriff's office, DART police um, just to help with manage the crowd because if, if, it goes off, it's going to go off and we don't have enough officers at Southeast to, to handle this. And we still have the, a crime scene to preserve, right? We still have a shooting scene that we got to make sure that homicide gets there, SIU or whoever needs to get there, get there. And, uh, Sergeant Quigg at the time, he was a Sergeant. Now major mm -hmm. Quigg was there and I know he was doing everything he could to, to calm the, the crowd down. But that luckily that didn't turn into something crazy but had the potential to just get 
bad. Insane. So that that was like a a dynamite fuse that was slowly going towards the the, the wick was was getting down. Yeah. And and I and I'm thank God Quig was out there. Quig knew that community very well. Yes. That community, the entire Dixon Circle, the gangs that inhabit that area are the Bloods. Right. right? They are. They're they're the uh, the Bloods uh, occupied that part of uh, town in South Dallas. Quig knew them very well. Mm-hmm. And. I, Rowden and I worked together quite a bit That's right. uh, before I went to the CRT, and uh, and yeah, when Rowden gets when he gets amped up, something something's something's gone to shit, right? Right. And I remember I just got home that day in the news, and I was watching the news. And Gabe, do you remember that that, that incident? Yeah, no, I, I do. And it's funny, you know, he's talking about it, and the only perspective I had was the news. And it, it, it to my my view, it was two lines were formed. It was the police, yeah, and then the the citizens of that community. And the way I looked at it was, all it's going to take is one pin drop, yeah, to set this off. And it's it's a battle. I mean, it looked like a battle line. That's what it looked like. And it just in a again a drop of a dime, the crowds kind of dispersed, right? Like it was it was an unbelievable sight. And, and, I mean, and just honestly, from one comment, from one comment somebody said out there that we shot him in the back. And, you know, it just, it wasn't true, right? And it just, it's just what started off, set the, again, the domino effect where it could have just gone from bad to worse really quickly. full hour riot and destruction and and assaults and people getting injured. That's happened recently in in the news. Like somebody said that officers chased down a juvenile and shot him in the back and the person wasn't even a juvenile and the person had a gun. Right. right. It, it was, right. I mean, it, it's, it's something like that. Some, somebody makes a comment and the grapevine is very, <laughs> is very fast yeah. out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and it makes it to the other end. And it, it, it's like, it literally, it literally is like igniting a, a, a wick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in that, in that area, just to finish the rest of that, that, that actually was a, <clears throat> it was a call regarding a hostage rescue type situation. Right. Because whoever called on the uh, that particular house, which was a big drug house in right. that area, they were they they gave information that something was going on because they knew that information would would uh, a, a quick police response would come right, and that's what happened. And and the and the guy that uh, the suspect that ended up, uh, you know, he got shot. He was a really well known drug dealer in that area. Yeah, and he had a lot of. There's a lot of people out there, so somebody gets out there that already does not like the police, and they're against the police, and they just quickly want to spread that word that they were shot in the back because they know what could come after that. Oh yeah, and the mob is uh, is very very malleable. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, what did you take away, Brian, from that incident? And and and, and what did you, did it change the way you looked at things? Well, so. It was pretty new to me. I've never, I don't think I've ever known somebody close to me that had been in, involved in an officer-involved shooting. Um, you know, I had gone to his house after after that incident, uh, check on him and, and sit with him and his, and his family at the time. And, uh, you know, I saw what a critical incident like that could potentially do to somebody, right? And then how... Not that the department responded badly. I don't think they did a bad job or 
did anything to necessarily bring down his character about it. I thought they did a pretty decent job explaining why he did what he did. But it could have gone the other way, really. It should, no, it, it has before. Yeah, it absolutely. Has, yeah. Um, but in this case, it didn't. But after after that incident, once he was cleared from it, um, it seemed like the department was trying to hide him and make sure that he wouldn't go back to, especially Southeast Patrol. And he kind of took that, he took that pretty personal. Um, and it, it changed him. That incident changed him. Um, and, you know, I, I, I feel bad because I think it ultimately, and I don't know a hundred percent. So, you know, he can fact check me on this if he mm-hmm. wants to, but um, it, he, he ended up leaving this job mm-hmm. after that incident, you know, and, and, and the fact that he couldn't get back to where he wanted to be, which was, Southeast Patrol. He wanted to be back to normal, and I'm assuming that the city took it and the department took it as a kind of like a CYA, like we shouldn't be placing him back in that area, and you know we'll take care of him. We can put him somewhere else, but not here. Yeah, and it it made me realize like things can definitely alter your life after that. It's after an incident like that. And it did. It, it did. It, no, yeah. absolutely it did. He did everything even, right. He did everything right and was justified. Absolutely. But he at first he has to live with the fact that he, he had to take a life, which isn't easy. Even if even if the even if the other person they bought that ticket admit you know, admission to that event too, right? Right. And they earned it and and but still he has to wrestle with taking a life and he has to wrestle with the uncertainty of a career. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. Oh, and if I'm not mistaken, there were actually threats made against him too. Once, once the news came out, what was going on, and that's yeah, one did. of the reasons yeah. they didn't want him going back to Southeast because there was a lot of threats against yeah. against him in particular. Well, we had and we had to have squad cars at his house in yeah. our, you know, in a suburb. Yeah, yeah, it, that was it. it changed it definitely changed the trajectory of his life and career, and he ended up leaving the department. I, I wanted to hit on that story because I for that reason, which you just explained of how it could turn on a dime. Yep. And you could be 100% right, but it's, it's still not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Before we get on, and, and I want to get into, and, and, and I'm glad you touched on something about, about a mindset and a changing of, of, a, of a career and, and, what, and, and, and things that weigh on you from mm-hmm. this job. We're going to get into something else later okay. with you, and I'm glad, but I'm glad you touched on it right there. Okay. Um, so, Gabe, where were you at at, the, at this point? Are you still at Northeast when this happened? Yeah, I'm. I'm at Northeast for sure. Um, what year was that shooting? Oh. 2012, maybe. Yeah. yeah so I mean, yeah. I, I either would have been in in that intelligence spot or back in deployment. It just depends on on the actual timeline. So, uh, both you know both positions were daytime. So I know I saw it on the news. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, but for the most part, Northeast, my career, deployment. I mean, two years right. on nights and close to four years in. On days. Well, you had a, you had a big, a big project that you had a hand in, mm-hmm. which in the uh, the body worn camera yeah. uh, program. So, whenever we we're always, I, re, I remember I'm 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 old enough to remember whenever we all went to dash cams, and at the time when squad cars all had got dash cams, people were like, nobody, it's just a. It brings anxiety up, right? You imagine if somebody going around and somebody's constantly following you and there's a camera on you. Yeah. You're gonna behave differently. You're gonna drive differently, you're gonna you're gonna talk differently, you're gonna look differently. Yeah. And it just brings a natural anxiety. And I remember when everybody we first had the squad cars that had cameras, 
there was not all of them were equipped with cameras. So everybody right out of detail would run and get the cars that did not have the cameras because not that they were trying to hide something. They just added a layer of anxiety that to a job that already is full of anxiety and stress. It's just something else you just didn't have to deal with. Mm Mm-hmm. And then by the time y'all hired on, most of the cars probably all had dash cams. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So now we have this new body camera. You're yeah. gonna have a you're gonna be filmed and filming everybody around you everywhere you go. Gabe, can you tell tell the listener about it? You know, we're a big major city. That nowadays pretty much every city, even the smaller ones, have have has these. But how did that go about when it was first presented and your involvement on that? Yeah, uh, so I was definitely at, at that point in time. I was the I was an intelligence officer at Northeast, and um, it was right after Ferguson. It was right after Ferguson. What year was that? I, I, oh shoot, 16? 14. Four, it was about fourteen ish. Yeah, uh, fifteen. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna look it up. Somebody's gonna be fact checking us, but that's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. in that area. But so I mean, and I could be wrong, but there was definitely a major incident that brought uh, the country to kind of have law enforcement go towards that. And so DPD was looking into it. And so uh, they had tasked Chief Acord and then at the time Sergeant Derek McCarter to kind of actually start the body-worn camera program. And so um, at the time we were we were doing the testing phases and, you know, uh, outside of the technical uh, sides of things on procurement, we actually have to – test different vendors that you can't just say i want this brand or, or this model so you i was working for sergeant mccarter at least in the admin office so he had asked me like hey can you help me out with this with with this project and so me and a bunch of other officers but you know i was included and so we did i mean we we went and you know sat through some of the meetings and 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 tested these things out and, and then had some group of officers test the i think it was six different vendors that we had at the time and and then we would rotate it, and then finally we selected the one, right? We selected the one body camera the department was going to go with. Why did you go? What got you to the point to select that one? What, what were all the determinative factors? Uh, well, I mean, at a high level, there were some that were just, you know, it was like a brick. It was like another radio on your on your belt that you and and on your chest that you, just no way feasible. And then you had. Some that were, you know, you had one that was actually, they had an online platform where you would download your evidence, right, wirelessly through the cloud, right, which was new to us. And then you had one that was kind of similar as far as hardware, but then you have to manually offload it into the computer to be stored. And so I think for easeability, uh, we went with the one just because that online platform where you store your evidence is, and how you share it was next generation. I mean, it was easeability wise and holistically that was that was the way to go um and so that's you know ultimately that's why we chose it i, I don't i don't think it was financially because it wasn't cheap right um and we didn't buy initially we didn't buy one for everybody on the department I, you know I, if i were to take a guess i think it was like a hundred right to start off for over three thousand plus sworn right? right correct right correct and so um you know and then and then we went and then we we started choosing uh volunteers right it went out to like volunteers people that actually wanted i volunteered wanted i remember that I yeah. Volunteered, yeah. yeah now did he kind of you know he had a, he he was on the ground floor of this uh mm-hmm. project brian that he kind of had talking with your brother about it did he kind of sway you or does he have any influence on you volunteering no Okay. I, I were you I, on the, you're on the CRT? Right? I was. That's right. Yeah, you yeah, worked yeah. with me. Yeah, and I, I didn't I, want that shit around. No, I'm yeah, I know you didn't, but <laughs> I did it because I didn't want to be 
the example. Yeah. Without, you know, something happened to me and I didn't have a camera. Like in Rowden's situation. Like in Rowden's situation. A body cam would have captured a whole lot. Right. Right. And so I looked at it and said, when when the opportunity came, I said, I here, I raised my hand and say, yeah, I'll volunteer for this. I'll have this thing on my chest because I've got nothing to hide. So let me ask you this. Once you and I remember you getting that. And yeah, I was a little because, uh, oh, God, there's something else. There's, you know, because I was like I said, I'm old enough to remember the dash cams. Come right, on. Right. Let me ask you this. You were you were in that camera. Did that change how effective we were on that CRT? I think in the beginning it was mm-hmm. um, until we kind of figured out like, you know, because even language, right? Like even your language has to change, right? It's, but, you know, we drop a lot of F-bombs and we joke a lot and we play around. and I don't know what you mean. Right. <laughs> but um, it, it's, but when you're at some point, I realized like doing your job and if you're doing it right, it's not going to matter. Right. And I think at first you're just like, oh, I've got to police my language. I don't want them to say, why is Brian dropping an F-bomb telling this guy to raise his effing hands up when he's not when he's not doing it. Right. I don't want the, the department to come at me for using profane language. Um, but then it wasn't very long afterwards. It was like, hey, look, like it is what it is. Like eventually we're all going to get this thing and we're not doing anything wrong. So and look at I mean, look where we're at now where everybody has one we're recording all the damn time and now people just don't know any better it's right. just the right. way it's called the it's way, way it, it's yeah. the way it is it's evolution and yeah. it's just uh it's just a part of the uh it's like having a cell phone in your hand exactly yeah you know? so gabe when whenever you were looking for volunteers did you would you have people coming <laughs> running from the hills the volunteer was it kind of hard sell at first uh no it wasn't actually i, I don't remember it being a hard sell of you know we were, were they younger officers for the majority, but I mean, you did have some old heads okay. that actually kind of volunteered. And, you know, during the testing, we actually had motors test the cameras because they were, um, they, they wanted to test them. And so, I mean, like I said, I mean, it was majority young, sure. Uh, but you did have some old heads come through that wanted the camera. They actually tested the cameras and then wanted it full time. So I, we didn't have um, a limited amount or excuse me, a, a, a small pool from people to volunteer. Because actually, during the testing phase, you have to remember, at least where I was working in Northeast, you had officers volu- buying their own stuff. That's right. Oh, yeah, like I, I said, I, I don't remember what critical incident happened. That it, it, I think it was 100%. I think it was Ferguson. Yeah, Bro, I just timeline, yeah. I don't remember. But there was a critical incident because people were buying their own at the time. And then when we went to this camera, when we finally made the selection, the policy and the law said that you, you know, we... You had to have the issued agency's camera. You couldn't have your own. Of course, yeah. You right. have to have you have to have guidelines and standards yeah. and yeah, security yeah. and all that. Of course, stuff, so. right. So, but I, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, people had their own. Yeah, people wanted to get their side of the story. Right. That, that's that's you know. And I think too, um, you started again that sort that kind of evolution to police are always doing wrong. Started, you know, especially after Ferguson was like, oh, police aren't doing the right thing. And that camera gave us the opportunity. To it say, was a guilty and proven innocent at, uh, turn. Right. right. Yeah. You know, I think Ferguson kind of sparked to where we even got to. And I'm sh- we'll talk about it later. But I think mm-hmm. even led the way to the uh, 2020 George Floyd riots. Yes. Right. This anti-police rhetoric mm-hmm. that we have, you know, right now. So. Gabe, when starting this, did you did you ever starting up something so big and you knew it was going to grow, it's going to become mm-hmm. big, right? And so so uh, Sergeant McCarter, and I know him well, he's a great guy. He yeah. actually he actually did well and left, and uh, he works for 
nice company. Yeah. So did you um, did you realize how big this was going to be and and how just it inf- it influenced the entire Dallas Police Department and the city? Did you realize how big that was when you got we're on something from the ground floor? You know the the honest answer is no, no. I, you know this was again you, you start. You look back and you know, like I, I said, I, I'm thinking we bought a hundred, right? It could be more, but not not to the size that where we're outfitting everybody. And fast forward, my career when I promoted and 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 went to patrol device, I had the opportunity to go and be the body camera sergeant. Yeah, yeah. And so when I got there, they had, the city had just signed a contract to expand the program to get to where we are today. And where are we at today, just for the listener? Uh, we're about uh, two, a little over 2,000, so I want about 2,200 cameras out there. Um, it, we're about three, a little over 3,000, and so the goal is to get to that 3,000 mark, which the contract lays out, right, to buy them in years, and you know, we just got approved this fiscal year to buy another 250. And you know, when I got there, they had just replaced, I'd, I'd say, about 1,500 cameras. So they had the old, same company, and when we renegotiated, they, uh, this company had made new cameras and they replaced 1,500, which was a task in, alone, in itself because you had three individuals and a sergeant going out throughout the entire department trying to switch them out, on hand train them what this camera functionality is and get all the hardware and IT stuff out of the way. I mean, that was, that was a huge step. And when I got there, we had just received a ship of 500 cameras, right? And so, you know, I get there and uh, there was another critical incident, not, nothing major, right? But I think it was like an officer-involved shooting. And uh, Chief Garcia realized, like, not everybody in patrol has a camera, you're right? And we were teaching. We had a way to we outfit and we were teaching, um, but not at the scale that he wanted at. So he, he basically said, I want all 500 to have cameras as of yesterday. And so we ramped it up. We, we, we worked it out where we were working six, seven days a week. Uh, teaching here, teaching at the academy. I pulled people on special assignment, and we made it work. I mean, we, we, we deployed 500 cameras to get up to 2,000 total uh, in a matter of, you know, three or four months. And we're still currently teaching because then as we still have an influx of cameras coming in, you know, we're identifying units that never would have thought to have cameras, like the officers that work downstairs uh, as security, right? Yeah. You know, uh, people that work at the station, people that do different functions that actually come in contact with people. SWAT, narcotics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, they were in the beginning, but, you know, uh, identifying those people, especially our policy says you're going to execute a warrant, you need your camera on. And so, I mean, it, it again, like you said, from, from what we started to where we're at now, and, and actually the biggest accomplishment for the guys when I was there is we need to get to the basic academy because that was the hard part, coming back and trying to teach 500 people from this department that hadn't have a body camera, but they're out there working in frontline positions and pulling them into a two day class. That's not an easy task. No. You're right. People call out, things happen. And then we got to think about storage, the, 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 the data that's collected, the storage and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the- I mean, luckily we have a good plan. We have unlimited storage. Um, right. so we have a good plan, but still we have to set up hardware we have to get it involved in, in configuring the the networks and stuff like that and speeds yeah. for upload you start adding and adding and adding uh, we have to make sure that the speeds are there so that you, your evidence could be offloaded at a, at a decent time um but now you know 
one of the biggest accomplishments we made is that we we taught everybody in that time frame and we made it to the basic academy. So now you're graduating from the academy with the body cam. So we're not having to catch up. And so now we can plan easier when it comes to buying and teaching. Yeah, because they just start with it. They it's like starting with a gun now, right? right. Starting with a flashlight. Yeah. You just that's part of that's part of you graduating. Yep. Right. One hundred percent. I like that. All right. Yeah. So I, I think that's enough of the nerd stuff with cameras <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, storage space and megabytes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, let's get into Flux some fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You warped your camshaft somewhere in there. I don't even know what happened. <laughs> um, Brian, SWAT. Yeah. Why was that such a goal for you? Man, I, you know, I, I knew it was something I've always wanted to do. Um, just, I guess, the idea of having an idea of what they did, which was the run the warrants, the adrenaline dumps, the kicking in the doors. Um, my dad did it, so I wanted to do it, um, and I wanted to be really good at it or great. Um, but then being in Dallas – Dallas SWAT has its own reputation. Right. And not just here, but nationwide. And, you know, being Dallas SWAT is, quote, unquote, the shit. Like, it is awesome to be Dallas SWAT. And I wanted, ever since I think I was in the academy, I mean, that's where I I had set my goals, like my dream. I'm like, "Ah, that's where I'm going. That's where I want to be at some point. That's where I want to go do my career nonstop go 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 kick ass and take names um and then also at the time i some of my friends had gone there so it made me really want to go just to be with them and uh so yeah i mean i i I just wanted to be that guy and i guess again being the competitive nature in myself where i knew it was going to take hard work i'm not a very big guy i'm not tall you know, my idea at the time was all the SWAT guys are six foot five, two hundred fifty pounds of raw steel and sex appeal, and I was like, I'm not that guy, dude. I'm five <laughs> seven, five six, one hundred and fifty five pounds. You got sex appeal though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, both, yeah, both of you. Yeah, thank short you. and bold. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I mean, you know, it's gonna. I thought, and it was. I mean, it was a tough, tough road. It was. It was. Not. It's not getting. It's not easy getting into SWAT. Um, and uh, plus your reputation. I mean you have to have a pretty decent reputation and uh, to go anywhere really in this department, any high profile elite unit and, you know, SWATs elite. So um, was it what you expected once you got there? And some, yeah. And some, I mean, when I first got there, I actually kind of was like, wow, this is pretty fast paced. Um, Because I think the first day we were there, it was training. And at the time, I don't know if you, I know you remember, uh, but we were working, three days on evening shift and like two days on days that sounds pretty typical yeah yeah it was weird but i didn't care right like i just got to swat but at the first day i got there we were somewhere at some facility training either some active shooter or something like that and i thought you know chasing dope and gigging indoors at southeast you know kind of transitioning over to making an entry in swat and and running and gunning through through hallways and and buildings that it wouldn't be that bad but those guys were really fast, seeing things really quickly, and I was just trying to catch up. I was like, "Well, this is extremely fast," and I didn't know how long it was going to take for me to just be able to to catch up to that speed. But it 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 was when you look back at it, I mean, it was it's the best job I, I believe on this department. Um, 
the the training you get, the exposure you get, the adrenaline, um, the family you build, the uh, you know people think that SWAT is just um, kicking indoors and running the warrants and doing all the whole high profile stuff. But I always explain it to to other people that it's more than that. I think it builds it builds character and it redefines and hones down who you really are. And uh, because it, it humbles you. There are things about SWAT that people don't understand as far as it's kind of like starting over again at the academy, right? You're the new guy. You're expected to be there extremely early, set up training targets, earn your stripes to where the group of guys accept you into their quote-unquote family. Um, and then also when you debrief a operation or an incident, now you're vulnerable because you have to admit what you did wrong to a bunch of your peers that you're trying to sell yourself to, to say, I belong here. And, um, and if you make a mistake, you're in your mind, at least in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, damn, I fucked up. And now they're going to think I'm incompetent, but then kind of flip the script. If you're there for a while and you're good at your job and you did something wrong and you admit it, then it's like, damn, it sucks because I'm supposed to know what I'm supposed to do. Right. I'm, I wasn't supposed to make that mistake. And, uh, it's, it's humbling in that aspect. You're vulnerable and, but it teaches you, it grounds you and it teaches you the importance of why we do certain things and where I'm at today. I take a lot of what I've learned and those traditions that we did in SWAT to what we do now in patrol. So when we have an incident in patrol, whether it's minor or, or big, I always select the officers that were really involved in it and ask them, you know, what it is you did good and did you mess up and what it is you could have done better. And it's kind of embarrassing for them at that point because a lot of them are very young and again, they're in front of their peers and after they do so, I explain to them the importance of why why it is they're going to admit what they did wrong so we can all learn. We can all we don't have to make the same mistakes. And you know, I every time I do that I look back and I'm like SWAT did that for me, you know. So, it's also pretty humbling when you admit that you made a mistake and everybody else already knew you made that mistake. Oh yeah. Way before you knew you made the mistake. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're just waiting to see if you, oh, you yeah. can own up to it. No, there's know? a, there's a lot of integrity checks yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Especially when we got the body worn camera. Cause then it really showed your mistake. You couldn't hide. Like, like when you bounce a, a breaching tool off a window into your buddy's head. Into my buddy's head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell more about this. I don't need to know. All right, so it's probably gonna, yeah. I, I nobody, again, nobody listens. Brian. Right. Don't right. Worry, you're good. So I was, uh, I was in part of a port and cover team. So in a port and cover, it's basically you're breaking out one of the windows into whatever structure you're going to hit, whether it's apartment or house. This was an apartment and you're doing it so you can get eyes in before the entry team gets in. And so you can see what potentially any harm that could happen or where suspects are at gathering Intel and uh, potentially minimizing and taking out any threats prior to the entry team going inside. And so my job at that time was to port the window for the two cover guys. And, you know, I didn't put a lot, I guess, of muscle into it and expected it to be just kind of a flimsy win window. And it was like double pane and all this crap. And I hit this thing and it just bounced right off the window. And the tool went straight into my buddy's helmet. Dink. I mean, just, <laughs> and it's all on camera. 
It is all on camera. We we probably watched that video a hundred times in in the debrief. We and watched it, at least that same section one hundred times every time we viewed it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. The speech, the rapist moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, again, important government. Yeah, very, I think very somebody humbling. put the hollaback girl music to it one that's time. Right. And <laughs> ding, ding. Yeah, it's just crazy. So, you, I want to talk about a couple of uh, some incidents that happened over there. Okay. All right. You had a hostage rescue on Abrams, um, 6,000 Abrams. Can you talk about that, about how that went down? Yeah, so, um, well, generally, I'm like the furthest one that lives away from Dallas. Um, we have like a 30-mile, we have a 30-mile radius that we have to live um, to be able to be in SWAT uh, from the central police station. So I live about 29. Eight nine 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 point eight 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 eight. You know, yeah. miles away. Little Ali G reference, by the way. Um, but uh, so I'm always like the last one to show up to the callouts because I live so far. And that was early morning. I don't. It wasn't. Or when I say early morning, it was like seven o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. I know the sun was out. Um, when I get there, the suspect was involved in a homicide where I guess he killed his baby's mother baby's mother's or mother and he was inside the apartment with a girlfriend and the two and his two biological kids um and he knew we were there and he covered up did he didn't he cover up the the bedroom window with a sheet so we had couldn't really tell where he was inside the apartment were you there i, I don't 100 percent remember this one okay and so long story short of it i get there and i i get with my asl scott mcdonald and uh you know, kudos to Scott. He's he's the man, and he's my buddy. Um, but the plan was already set. I was part of the entry team, and you know, the guy there was intel. The guy had a had a weapon and had both kids inside, and and the girlfriend. So it was a we treated it as a hostage situation. Um, we blew the door, and once we knew we blew the door, we were going in. And I know that when I went inside, I didn't go to the bedroom. I went to the kitchen area closet and within a second somebody says you know suspect down and i thought we shot him you know i was like okay i didn't hear it but i was like okay we shot him and i think we had suppressors by then so it could have been that we had shot him but shortly thereafter it was determined that he he had killed himself he had actually shot himself and then um i think i don't know if that was our first one but no, definitely wasn't my first one, but we, you know, you go through this whole process when somebody dies in your custody where what could be a four hour event now is a eight, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 hour event because you have to write your statement with special investigations. Crime scene has to count your bullets, each individual operator. And, you know, that was kind of like my first taste where it took a whole unit to where we all went through this process together. It's an emotional toll, right? I mean, it's stressful. Yeah. I mean, it's we, we've got, we've got kids. Yeah. And, you know, we've got kids involved, right? So, um, our mission is to make sure that the kids and the girl and the, and the girlfriend are safe. And yes, the suspect too, but our goal is those hostages, right? The, we, we suspend our safety to make sure that they're, they're safe. And, you know, at, at the end, we did what we were supposed to do, and it came out okay, and everybody was rescued. Nobody was hurt. So 
but yeah leading up to it there is a you know there's anxiety that kicks in dude where you want to make sure that this mission doesn't fail right you don't i don't want a dead kid on my watch and or anybody anybody that's innocent so so I'm getting in a few critical incidents because I'm ramping up to something. You yeah, and I, yeah. You and I talked the other day. Right, and, right. Um, and I could, I'm watching you. And every time when I'm interviewing somebody on, 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 these, on this podcast, and I notice a physical change whenever somebody is, is – is, is, we're ramping up. Mm-hmm. Right, right, I see right. it. Because I know na- we're going it's, there. It's natural. Yeah, you know it's coming. Right, right. Uh, but it's part of the story. Right. And so that happened on February 9th of 2020. Right, that's that's mm-hmm. what I have here. The, the the Abrams deal, right? So, can you kind of describe? We're going to get into the. Uh, you mentioned the George Floyd protest mm-hmm. uh, earlier. We're going to get into your time leading up to those to 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 that event. Can you kind of talk about that? Yes. So, on May eighteenth, uh, two thousand twenty, I and I think the riots happened the twentieth. Of of May, right? Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So on May eighteenth, and and I'll kind of give you guys a backstory and kind of how this all led up and some of my feeling that the shit was going to be messed up already. Um, so on May eighteenth, we had a normal day, normal SWAT day, training or running warrants or whatever. We get home. I get home that evening, and context, we've been up since probably six seven in the morning that day and by the time i get home that evening from work i want to say maybe around nine o'clock i know it's around bedtime for me um i get a text from my sergeant our group does and says hey guys stand by for a uh, hostage call but this one's at northwest our northwest station some dad i think had his son hostage so we're like okay you know we typically just wait for the call out we get you know our sergeant starts to text us periodically with updated information and at some point during this waiting period of getting the call out the sergeant texts us says hey guys we're actually going to have two two call outs two hostage rescues going down we're going to have one at northwest uh, station and one at the south central station and I was like, okay. And he said, but we're going to split up our, our teams. We're going to send two to Northwest and two down to South Central. Now, for clarification for the listeners real quick, you don't run a hostage rescue without absolutely everybody you have available. So to split it in half was already a, a, a big mind bender. Right. And that's where I kind of – that's where I say where if I give you guys context, like that day felt like stuff was going to get messed up already shit was going to go away. Like it was just going to not going to work out because again, I'm thinking in my mind, why are we splitting our resources? Like we don't, we've never been taught that. We never trained that. Like we either pick one and then we get another agency to handle another one. And that way, again, we're not limiting our resources because once we do that, you're splitting up snipers, breachers, negotiators, gas people, Bearcats, you're splitting all your resources. It's just continuity of the team working together. Yeah, right. And if one turns into shit, which one did, and we don't have enough people or resources, then how do we effectively execute the mission? Right. So, in my mind, when that text came out, I'm like, and I even called Renfro. I'm like, why are we doing this? Like, we don't do that. It's not what we. That's not how we train. 
So luckily enough, at some point on our way down to our designated location, I was going to the one at South Central, which I don't have the address, but that one, it was a mother where there are two kids inside. Boyfriend had called 911. They got into an argument. He, she had shot at him. So we have an aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. She was still inside the house with the kids. At the time, we didn't suspect that this was a hostage situation. It was more of a barricaded with the potential of turning into a hostage deal. So again, as I'm making my way down there, uh, the Northwest hostage rescue gets uh, rescinded because I guess the guy, they, the officers at Northwest took that guy into custody. So we all end up going down to the South Central um, hostage rescue deal. When I get there again, I'm like the last one. So I'm walking up to one of the APC Bearcats and trying to see where I fit in, what my job is going to be that night. And from what I remember, the two kids were still inside and Melvin was negotiating at that time. He had already spoken to the boyfriend. The boyfriend had said that the mother, our suspect, was radicalized. She's got these books, Nazis. And, and I don't know if she made the call or that one time. I, know, I think she spoke to Melvin one time. And something about, you know, white people are the devils and, and police are the enemy of the people. And that she was not going to go to jail at the hands of police. That was a pretty big indicator that this was not going to turn out very well. So at some point, I know that Melvin's negotiating and gets in contact with the son who's inside the house. And the son, he asked the son at some, and, and I'm kind of getting fuzzy about the facts, but I know that the son ends up coming outside and comes to us, the police, us and SWAT. And Melvin talks to him and debriefs the kid. And he says, you know, mama's in there with her, with uh, his sister. Um, but we were, we're free to go whenever we want. And, but we've been helping mom load magazines. Right. So I'm like, okay, we're going to get into a shooting tonight. I mean, that's just, she's not, she's not going to go down without a fight. Um, we just got to make sure that one, she, the, the daughter's not caught in the crossfire and, and, or be prepared that that daughter may be radicalized as well. You may be coming into a situation where when you get in that house, she might be holding a gun, right? So all those things are like going through your head and it's probably midnight at this time. <sighs> Man, we went, we loud hailed. I knew we, we hit some windows. We broke some windows out and then eventually set a charge on the front door and actually blew the front door open and got zero response out of that. Not a peep coming from that house, not from the daughter, not from the mother. We send in robots to clear the house and multiple robots, nothing. We don't see anything. We don't hear anything. And at some point, at least in my mind, I'm thinking, is she even here? Like, I started to have doubts. Like, I don't know. She ain't here. 
like somehow or another we're being played right and then there was a confusion about whether we're going to treat this as a hostage rescue or not and it kind of went back and forth and and the reason why we do that too is to get your mind right right like we're gonna if we're gonna treat this as a hostage rescue this our heads got to be right we got to be ready for this thing you know bps everybody's kind of for the most part not not trying to be but a little bit more lax you start talking about hostage rescues you're you're a little bit more self-aware right like we have now a solid fucking mission which is to take the innocents and, and make sure that they're rescued well um now it's like the sun's starting to come up it's like six seven o'clock and my uh it it's been determined that we're gonna make entry we can't find her can't find the daughter with the robots so let's start taking parts of the house that we know that she's not at and kind of narrow down where she might be and i wasn't in the entry team i was outside i was i was part of a port and cover but i was not porting this time i was actually going to be covered so nobody was going to get dinged in the head um but yeah the decision was made to make to make entry and, and and locate either one of them when they go inside we go to our our window that we're going to port and cover and at some point i hear uh, knocking what I think sounds like knocking coming on on the wall and it's a consistent knock and so I have my headphones on I take one off and I'm looking at my my cover my other cover officer and I'm like do you hear you know I'm whispering to him like do you hear that and initially I thought that's that little girl tapping to us like hey I'm here and I'm like oh, okay so I was about to get on the radio and be like hey guys I think we've got the daughter on this bedroom and then Within an instant, that small knock turned into some heavy firepower. I mean, just dong, 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 dong. You know, now you knew the guns were out. And that's not us because we had suppressors. That's her. That's mama. So immediately, the decision is made to back out and introduce gas into the house. And it's like 4th of July with the gas stuff. I mean, we're just shooting nonstop gas ferrets inside the windows, inside the entire house. And the shooting continues for a little while. And then there's a lull. And then, I don't know, after a couple minutes, you hear one shot, two shots. And that's it. And again, it took some time. Um, I think it was determined that some of this shooting was captured on body camera. You know, where, where was the shooting happening? We didn't know where the shooting was going down. So we reviewed some of the operators' body-worn cameras that actually were hit by some of the original shots being fired. What I thought was knocking was actually a twenty-two rifle, which is why it sounded so, so low. Um, so they were able to figure out where she was. It was a, it was a closet door or a coat, coat hanger closet in the hallway that led into the bedrooms that was covered up by the hallway door, which is why we couldn't find it originally. So it was determined that she was in there. So we set up a charge and we figured she'd probably be dead at this point. And 
when we blew the with the robot we used uh, we, we set a charge and we blew the wall and we looked in there with the robot and she was dead and so it was a daughter and it and it didn't bother me then you know at that point when i knew what had happened that she was dead and that the daughter was dead um i just figured like that's what those last two shots were it wasn't until i went in and visibly saw that right um because i had a kid at the time he was a year old and i was like fuck you know who who could do this to their own child right and i'm like i love my kids to death and there's not there's not something anybody can fucking do for me to let alone anybody touch my my children or hurt my children and trying to understand what would drive a parent to kill their own child and then take their own life like that 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 radicalization is just beyond me right like i don't understand it i will never understand it um because my children to me are everything right so like it never it never like i even to this day there's nothing you can tell me to justify other than yeah she's radicalized she reads nazi books and you know all this stuff like okay so what that's your child right and then I remember walking to my Tahoe to down on my gear. And I'm, by the way, I'm dead beat tired. This thing started at, I think, 10 p.m. And by, by the end of this, it's, what, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. And we already have been up prior to that for a whole shift of work. So I am dead beat tired. So I get to my Tahoe, down on my shit, and I remember sitting down on the curb, and I start thinking to myself, and even Scott McDonald walked up at that time too, and I start questioning why we did what we did. Um, because in my mind, once it was determined that we're going to treat this as a hostage rescue, why did we back out? Our mission was this little girl. And we know the potential and the dangers that come with hostage rescues yeah we were fired upon but that's the risk we take during hostage rescues right so all that kind of settled in and and i'll be quite frank it that whole situation it it hurt it hurt bad because again i mean i i'm just thinking about my own kid he's a year old at the time and i'm like that's my that's my world right now and i don't know who could do this to their own child and then I start kind of blaming ourselves, like, did we fuck up something? Where could we have done better and why we did what we did? And nothing really was making sense. Nothing was. Like, I was like, man, you know. And and I know some people came up to me and, like, they were like, ultimately, she made that decision. Mama made that decision. We didn't do that, right? But in my head, I'm thinking, like, Yo, our responsibility was that child, and I don't think we did what we were supposed to do that day. And to kind of go back to your question, Joe, which was leading up to the riots. Now, this is two days before the riots, right? We have had no fucking sleep. We have been involved, in my eyes, something pretty critical. You know, there's a dead baby girl murdered by the hand, by her own mother 
in those two days, we ran, I want to say either one or two narcotics warrants. And we were involved in two more hostage rescues. So leading up to the day of the riots, we went to work that day. And we were told we got to stay at work. I know I was running on fumes. My tank was on empty. And I was mad. I was mad because I had questions unanswered. Yes, we had a debrief about the, the incident. I was, it wasn't resolved with me. I didn't think that we came to a conclusion about, you know, we had some people agree on what we could have done. And then some people were like, nah, we're not going to do that. We shouldn't have done that. We should have stayed what we did. And, you know, and again, I don't know what the right answer is. Right. I, you know, again, she did make ultimately mama made her decision to to do that. But whatever the bottom line is that you were affected by this. Yeah. How whatever decision was made or was not made, you personally, it was weighing on you. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it, I believe, is because I was a new father, right? And enjoying my child. So, yeah, I won't, I won't beat this, this, this dead horse again with it. But after that incident and then you had, again, the two warrants, the two additional hostage rescue call-outs, and now the riots. Okay, so all of us are tired. All of us have had no sleep. And then in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, this is just another protest. This is just another big crowd forming up. And I knew, I knew this was going to have the potential of turning into a riot because the day before there had been riots all over the country. So I knew that we weren't going to be special, that we had to be on our game as a department to make sure that this didn't get out of hand. And lo and behold, it got out of hand. Um, and there was no control to this thing. This was a, you said earlier, dynamite fuse. That thing blew up. It blew up. And um, there was no structure. There was no leadership. Um, it just seemed like it was free reign for criminal behavior there was looting arson vandalism assaults people shooting probably everything you can imagine going on in downtown one group of SWAT guys were going one way one group of SWAT guys were going another way one group of officers were going this way no direction by the department on how to handle this and and then dealing with everything I was dealing with, I really got upset and things started to go in my mind about did we, are we failing now as a, as a profession? Did we, are we now allowing criminality to happen because we want to keep our jobs and we don't want to make the right or wrong move? Um, and, and I got pissed. I got, I was mad. I was mad at the department. I was mad at, uh, our command staff, um, for the lack of leadership and direction during this time. And I ultimately, well, and I know I, I needed a break. I needed my mind. My mind was 
just going through too much, man. Can, can you talk about? Can you tell the listener where your mind's at? I mean, and you, you and I talked, and I want Gabe to jump. In. Gabe, more you're a sounding board, right? Did you did you did you talk to Brian during this? So not initially. Uh, the night of the rights, I was working too, but not nowhere near the extent Brian was at. I was actually in Vice, and okay. we we just before the riots kicked off. Remember that they had the protest in front of headquarters. Yeah. Uh, before the riots went out, and so we actually couldn't leave the building to either go do work or part, you know participate in helping out other officers, and so we were pretty much just we had to stay in. There's nowhere we could have gone, um, and so once the night had finished, where everything was in downtown, we had confirmed that they didn't need our assistance because we were undercover. Uh, we went home eventually, and it wasn't I think until the next day. We we were at a friend's house at a pool party. No, like, I wasn't for a couple of days. It maybe. was yeah, it was a couple of days after that. Um, so I, you know, I had no idea what he had gone through. Right, I know he had the the hostage rescue incident. I had no idea it affected him that way. And then we again fast forward. We're a couple of days into going to uh, a friend's house for a pool party. And we were talking, and um, he had mentioned he wanted to leave the department. Like, he had made his mind he was done. And I, it hit me pretty hard, and I was like, yeah, no, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. Because now I, I realize there's issues, right? Like, I can see something's wrong with him, right? To me, that wasn't a rational decision. And so, you know, we're talking, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm trying to give him options. Like, hey, you, you know people. Let's, let, let's figure out. You need a break. I said, hey, you take off. I was like, you need to, we, we need to call your supervision. You got to be honest with them. Take off, get a week out, get a two out. I don't care what, what's going on right now with DPD. You need to take care of you. And, um, and I know you did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah eventually you did. You, you were able to get your week off or two. And then it was deciding like, and talking to you more going, okay, let's, I think you need out for a little bit. from SWAT. Yeah. I, so I was pissed and my mind during those riots, um, I think it was a combination of things. I think we had the the hostage rescue. We had no sleep. I think everything that leads up to the riots, right? The riots itself, the rhetoric coming behind the riots, so much that had been put into this bottle and you put the cap on, you shake it, and now this bottle's like ready to burst. Like it's just enough's enough. You know, the years of command staff coming down on us, or the anti-police rhetoric, the Amber Geiger trial, so much seven-seven, right? And then these critical incidences happening days before the riot, not having enough time to kind of just process what the what the fuck just happened, and why? You know, in my mind, like, how did why did we fail, right? That was my biggest thing. How did how did we fail? And then going into this situation at the riots where I'm like, okay, well, let's handle this. Let's make sure that we can do our jobs. And in my opinion, we didn't do our jobs. The city, downtown was destroyed, whether we want to admit it or not. It was, we didn't do anything. Yeah, we. I deployed a ton of gas. But okay, so we just moved the crowd from one spot to another and allowed them 
to do what they did. We allowed it. And you can tell this stuff was messed up because even the bridge incident, nobody was on the same page. Nobody wanted to make decisions out there. Nobody wanted to get on the same page. And everybody's worried about their job. And I'm sitting here thinking like, well, where did our profession go wrong? Where did we go wrong? This wasn't the job that I signed up to do. I swore an oath to protect people and to protect their constitutional rights. And we're not doing that. We're more worried about political persecutions than anything else. And I'm not about that. You know, I'm like, where my dream job, my career, my life is being trashed right now. And I'm going through this shit with the hostage stuff. And I'm like, well, screw this. I'm not going to, one, you're not going to catch me off guard. I'm not going to grab the bull by the horn and then make a mistake and then be set an example during the riots because that's what they're going to do. That's what they did. Did you feel, being self-aware, becoming self-aware, did you feel that if you remained in that position, that something, that a mistake could be made? Yes. And I I was worried about that. Um, You know, Gabe said at some point I realized like, my, I was so mad. I, you know, and I had gone up to my sergeant at the time, Transu, and I said, Sarge, I need to, I need to take a break. Like, I just can't think straight right now. Um, and, and I don't want to make a mistake. That's going to ruin me, you, these guys in the department. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. I've got a family at home and that's who I, that's what I care about. My family. So, and he understood. He, he didn't give me any slack about it. Gave me some, some days off to think. And, and I did. I mean, I reached out immediately to my therapist that I've been seeing for many, many years and uh, told her I needed to talk. Um, and I reached out to my, my, my father, who, you know, the retired police officer, and he gave me some good advice. You know, just don't make rash decisions. You're, you're, you're basing your decisions on anger right now, and you're not thinking logically. You're thinking out of emotion. So chill out. And so I took him for his word. Um, Because he's been involved in critical incidences. He's been shot at. And he almost made rash decisions. He almost left his department and left his family over it. So I took his advice, took some days off, and did a lot of soul searching. And um, ultimately, the decision I made was to take care of myself and my family and leave SWAT. And get my mind, my body right to where... You know, and I think for some in this career, you know, if we're in the middle, we shift out of that that middle line, and it somehow or some way you just need to kind of get back. And I felt like getting away from the the constant exposure to incidents that way, the critical incidences, the the craziness was to to get out of SWAT, and uh, that was probably. Th- the hardest decision I had to make. What was the hardest about that make decision? Well, several. I mean, one, those guys are my family. Like, till this day, I, you know, I just went recently went to a SWAT training with the uh, North Central Patrol guys, and when I get in there, it's like I light up, they light up, we're just hugging, high five in each other, candy's here, you know. It's really difficult to explain the relationship you have in a small group like that. And I know we've all worked in small groups and, and you guys have similar experiences with it. But with SWAT, you spend more time with them than anybody else in your life. And you spend multiple years there. Yeah. 
And when, like, to, to leave the way you did, it didn't just affect you. It affected everybody that was there, yeah. whether they're willing to admit it or not. But that's just one breakup for them, and it's like 30 to 40 breakups. We discussed it. I mean, it's it's basically heartbreak. You know, and you talked about being homesick before. Yeah. You, you miss those guys. Yes. You know, and, and nobody leaves in that manner. Like, nobody's ever done it before where they've been there for a couple of years. Or if they promote, you know, that's a little bit different because they're they're moving on and there's something going on. But to just leave – is is extremely difficult you know i when i left i had some issues also and i didn't realize it until just recently and i think that that might be what it is is that you you miss those guys and it takes you two or three years to realize what's actually going on and i wasn't right after i left you know i was i was frustrated with a lot of stuff mentally i wasn't well it was it similar for you yeah i mean like so for me it's like this is everything that i've worked for Right. This is everything that I've put in for was for me to go to SWAT. And and some of me or a lot of me was identified by that. Right. Like I had finally been to to get to this position of being a SWAT operator and being good at my job and creating the family that I did in SWAT. And then ultimately having to make the decision to leave to better myself from this. And now I'm not going to see my guys now I'm not that SWAT operator anymore. Now where, what defines me, right? And a lot of things change, right? I soon realized that my family defines who I, I you know, who I am and not, not this job. And, um, but still it's, it's hurtful because these, and like Sarge said, it's it's hard to explain that type of relationship you build, but you go to war with these guys. You're the one going into the into the structure, balls to the wall, ready to take bullets for each other and protect each other or die for each other. I mean, it is this is what you do on a daily basis over there. Right? So you know, leaving there it was it was it was so hard to make that decision. And a lot of me was fighting against that, saying, just fuck your, fuck your mind, fuck it, just go for it, and, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there if we make a mistake. And I was, and I told myself, I can't do that. I can't do that to myself. I can't do that to my family. Um, it, you know, I'm, I've never been that angry before in my life to where it's affected me at home. And I, that's when I said, I, I got to get out. You know, and that's, I had to do right by myself and my kids. And I, I applaud that. I mean, the self-awareness, number one, and then actually being able to follow through with that decision. You know, I think if you talk to anybody, a lot of the guys have wanted to leave, but they can't. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I'm telling you, it's it's super hard to leave yeah. on your own accord. It sucks. I mean, it absolutely sucks to to say I'm out Yeah, from that. Um, but, you know, you fast forward a little bit. And, uh, you know, obviously to this day, I miss it. I'm not going to lie. I miss those guys. Again, being in training the other day with them, it just, it was fun, you know, being back there training, going, doing all the stuff they do. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, maybe, you know, I got to realize that this isn't my plan. This is God's plan. Right. And look where I'm at today. Now I'm a, now I'm a sergeant and, that's what he wanted for me and and i tell and, and what's true about that is that um a lot of what happened during the riots um 
and Chief Garcia made me want to promote. Um, I was kind of like Gabe after the riots. I, I had no intent of promoting. I was just going to do my time low key and auto theft. I was an auto theft detective. I was just going to do my, my time retire and move to whatever part of the life, you know, whatever life had in store for me. And then chief Garcia shows up and through what he says and his policies and everything he's done, I believe in him. And I think for most of us, and then you can see it in the morale of this department, it sparked a new flame. And I thought to myself, it's not the, it's not the bars or the stars that you got that they have here that makes them a leader. It truly, you, you can tell who's a leader and who, who can steer the ship. And he's doing that. Right. And I realized like, that's what I, that's what I need to do. I need to help make sure that this department doesn't go back to what we saw during the 2020 riots and to make sure that the next generation coming up feels like they have the leadership that we're getting right now with chief Garcia. Gabe, you, you're, you see that firsthand, mm-hmm. right? So you, you see, you see the leader that we don't see. You see the leader behind the scenes, mm-hmm. right? Yep. What are you, what is your, what's your takeaway from being, and how does that affect you with your leadership skills, having that influence? We see a certain portion in front of the camera or in certain meetings, but you see you see the real guy and you see the real leadership qualities. Yeah, no, I get that a lot. Like you'd be surprised. Most people just when I go around with him, they they realize I'm his assistant, and so they'll they'll just kind of bypass me, which is totally great, right? I'm, I'm in the shadows. Um, but then a lot of cops will ask me because you know I had no intentions of promoting until just recently, just like Brian said, and. My first assignment as a lieutenant is not just any chief of police. It's Chief Eddie Garcia, and not even Texas known. It's he's nationally known, right? And it's having a front row seat to greatness. I mean, things, things, the motivation, the passion, the genuine that he has is second to none. Like I've never, I've never seen it. Right. And I've worked for great guys and, and great gals. Right. We've all known them. We all know the names. Some have retired. But the flavor that he brings to this police department and it, one, the shocking part is how did nobody know who he was in San Jose? Right. He gets to Dallas because San Jose is not a small department. And he comes to Dallas and he's on the forefront and he is just grinding. We call it grinding away. Right. Every day is a Monday except for Friday <laughs> for us, right? Really for him, right? It's not, it's not my job. I'm, I'm there to take care of him, but um, he, it, it's, it's refreshing. It's remarkable, really, when you think about the fact that he doesn't need a job. Like, he did his nope. time. He has yep. a full retirement. Right. He does this because he, he cares about it, and you can tell that he cares about it, and that's, that's one of the things that I think everybody appreciates, and you, you mentioned it. He's, he's like breathing life back into this. It's like a, a football team that gets a new coach and they go on a win streak. Right. That's how that's how a lot of people feel about Chief Garcia. Yeah, no, and we go to a lot of, you know, obviously we go to a lot of events and community events and, and business events and nonprofit events and some of the speeches he gives are, are, are repetitive, but what's funny is it never gets old. And it's always passionate and genuine. 
and it's it's so cool like i again a lieutenant br- newly promoted and you're working under the best chief of police that this entire country has seen and and i get that front row seat and i don't take advantage of that no it's 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 amazing and it's hard to explain because you guys only see what's on tv and then i get oh man that was great and i'm like it was great but that's like not even half of what i get to experience on a daily basis and that and that that kind of leadership and that kind of just genuine character can be infectious oh it is uh, I, yeah and that's what that's what creates morale better morale yeah in an and you apartment. can tell when he's been in front of the senate committee or the house committee over in dc and when they're asking him what he's doing specifically to lower crime he doesn't take credit right he get, he's giving credit to the men and women of this department yeah. And that just shows you the, the type of person he is, right? The type of leader he is. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, like he says, it's, it's, like, it's addicting. Like, you want to be part of that. Yeah, he's, some, he's, he's just a role model, right? He's right. A, he's a, you want, like you looked at the role model as uh, your, 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 uh, your father. Right, right. And then now you have, we, we, have, we have a new role model. And yeah. you, like I said, Gabe, you have, a, you have a front row seat to pure leadership mm-hmm. and qualities. And there's something, and like with any leader, you're going to take – Great things, good things, and some things, ah, that's not my style, but that's, that's sure. part of it. But you have a peek behind the curtain of, of great leadership and great, just a great mission, right? Yeah. Having yeah. a great mission and, and, and vision for an entire city, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if I, if I was prepared, I'd write down like, I've been there, what, four months? I can write down what, what accomplishment – accomplishments he has done in, in probably three pages right or more and you look at you know when i, I kind of relate to brian when he got the swat i'm going okay this is admin job i got this right it's no biggie but he's not you're and he'll say it he's not in the office chief right his calendars are always booked he's going out to the communities he's going out on ride-alongs we just went to a swat training uh that he wanted to do and we're, we're just constantly on the move and it's not just because he wants to stay busy he's making a difference you know if there's an issue he wants to find out and and he wants to hear from the community and he does it genuinely and that's and that's what's crazy about it all is it's it's not just a listening session hey chief garcia is here it's here's a listening session chief garcia is here and he listens and responds to it i mean he he genuinely does it so when i got there i'm like yeah i got this and then like within two weeks i thought i was in over my head I really did. I was like, oh, my God, this is he's, – he's going not even where I'm close to being at, right? And just, you know, here in the last month or two, do I feel like I, at least I have a tempo who he is and, and what his work life is and his mission and his motivation. And, and, and there are times I still feel like, man, I'm nowhere near that. And I'm not. I mean, he's, he's just a different breed. Um, but it was funny when you mentioned it because I felt the same way. And it's the first time I ever felt that way in my career was like, oh, I need to, I need to catch up to this guy. Um, but it, it's, it's fantastic, and, and you can't take that away. And, I, I mean, there's, there's not much to say. It's just it's different, and every day is different. I mean, he's, it's, it's the common sense, right? I mean, think about it. He's got city leadership in agreeance, right? It's all focused on public safety. We just passed a budget where it was primarily focused on public safety, where everyone is in who city manager, assistant city manager, mayor, council is now in support of public safety, and they're behind him, not just a hundred but two hundred percent. 
I mean, we've never seen that tie unity. Yeah. It's the message. Yeah. yeah. The message of it is, is much different from two years ago to what oh. it is today. And, 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 and the results from that message are they're, they're evident, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. So you, you guys both, I think most of us in here kind of look up to him and, and we take advice from him as a senior person. What advice would you guys give individually to younger officers? Well, I'll start. I mean, my, you know, my experiences are obviously, if we listen to this podcast, are a lot different than Brian's. Um, but my advice is tides turn and we have to adapt. Know who you are and be honest with yourself. Love this job. Because for the most part, a lot of us, this was a calling. This wasn't a job. This was a calling. And so know who you are um, and adapt to the changes. Right. And, and not adapt where you're complicit in, in rhetoric or anything like that. But, you know, we talked about body cans. We talked about different things that that happened throughout just in a very small time of our careers. Right. And you, you shouldn't let the outside noise influence who you are as a person. You shouldn't. Um, and, and Brian's done actually, you know, I know you went through your stuff and you're still probably battling with some some issues maybe still today or, or not, but you've redefined yourself, Yeah. right? And that's, that's what we're talking about is redefine yourself if you have to, but don't, don't let the outside noise influence you. We all know Chief Garcia won't be here forever, and the tide can turn tomorrow when he decides to make that move. But I have now in 15 years laid out my career path, even though I don't think five years down the road, I have laid out my career path and know what makes Gabe, Gabriel happy, right? And to keep doing me to make myself happy, my family happy, and to career my, uh, and to continue my career path until I retire at ninety years old. Man, that's that's yeah. great advice, uh, Brian. I hate to be you, but you're up next to follow that. You gotta follow that. All right. Um, he wants just, to be just, like Maverick. Hey, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna be like. Tom just, Cruise and Maverick. Just plagiarize his answer. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, Gabe's right. Gabe's 100 percent right. Um. You know this this career um this calling do it because you love it and that's why i ultimately didn't make the choice to leave this department because i i still believe in this in this uh this career i still believe in its calling and i think that um again i'll give kudos to chief garcia because he he made a lot of people realize like hey it's it is fun to be a cop and there is a reason to be a cop and the calling is still there um but don't identify so much into what you do and you know take care of yourself and your family because that's the most important when you when you leave this job like joe used to say two days later nobody's gonna remember who you are and uh doesn't mean not to put 110 percent into it but don't identify so much as letting this job take over who you are because you think you're setting a legacy for somebody and uh you know take care of yourself take care of your mind take care of your body and take care of your fam your family all right next topic is uh regrets gabe any regrets no regrets no regrets, no regrets. you know i i don't really have a lot of regrets uh again i take that to my personality right i didn't plan and really set goals for myself i knew once i started here back in 2007 man i fell in love with the the $10,000 signing bonus, the $40,000 or $42,000 a year, thought I was rich. And, you know, I can 
I can genuinely say that my career experience has been blessed and, 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 uh, and just continuing to grow. Um, you know, uh, if, if I was going to make a regret, the only regret I would make is that I didn't take the first senior corporal test, which wasn't a regret because I'm here now, right? Look at me now. And, and now I got the front, you know, we talk about that. I got the front row seat again to the best chief in this country. And I, I'm learning so much just from that. I'm not working for a major or a deputy chief. I'm working for the chief of police of this, of this department. So I, I hate saying that there are regrets um, because I, I love the job and I, I give it everything I got. Um, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I'm just going to say one more thing about uh, what we would say to younger officers. Um, yeah, don't go ahead. Go ahead and just ruin the whole segment. Go ahead. Sorry, but it, it just reminded me of something. Don't shit on your department. I know we're not perfect. Um, no department is. But you work here. This place gave you the opportunity to become who you wanted to become. And yes, like could things be better? Absolutely. But ultimately, this, this place gave you a job, and this place gave you your your life goal. So to some of the parts, yeah, yeah. Don't 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 shit on on your department that you work for. Even though obviously changes can be made, but still, um, regrets. I do. I have one regret for sure. I, I wish I did. I would have trained as an FTO. Um, when I promoted to senior corporal, I was fortunate enough to back then you could stay in your specialized unit, so I stayed in CRT. But now being a sergeant, um, I wish I'd had that kind of that first step into being a supervisor, which is field training um and having that experience because i love i do i do love training uh, swat had gave us that opportunity to you know to put on classes and train people and i and i do love that part as w- of the job as well but um that mentoring type thing i wish i'd had that earlier on in my career i know you're not super uh planny but <laughs> what are your what are your goals from here well i mean my number one goal is to ride it out with Chief Garcia as long as he's here, right? You know, my being here for four months under under his leadership is very my my vision is very clear, which is to make sure that he needs he gets whatever he needs and he succeeds, right? So that's my number one goal is to make sure that he he does succeed and he's got it. But you know, um, that's my number one goal. After that. I don't have any, man. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Just, my, just let it be, man. Yeah, uh, I sound like the guy from Colorado, right, in Denver, <laughs> but I don't have any. You know, it's it's one of those that I'm. I've never been disappointed where I'm at, never, and I'm 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 happy to be here. If I'm still the administrative lieutenant when the new chief comes here, and they, you know, he or she wants me to be their administrative lieutenant, they want to promote me, transfer me, whatever it is, I'm I'm just happy go lucky, man, and and. That's my goal, but the, my ultimate goal is to make sure I'm there for him as long as he needs me, and then after that, wherever life takes me, man. Brian. So ultimate goal in the department, um, I probably take the next lieutenant chief test. Chief of police. No, not <laughs> chief of police. Uh, probably take the next lieutenant test um, just because, I one, I know how it is now to study and go hard and, and do well. Um, but ultimately is to make sure that the next generation of officers have good leadership and good guidance and that look, chief Garcia did an, is doing an amazing job and 
not saying as a lieutenant or anything that I'm going to be or am is going to, I just want to continue what he's doing. Um, because I think that that's, what's good for this department and the city. And, uh, outside this department, my goal is to be a better husband and a better father to my kids, you know, and enjoy life with them. Both of y'all, your uh, family is super important, Joe. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, that. man. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's most. And get y'all growing, y'all growing up being so tight as you know twins, right? Yeah. Leaning on each other. Now you're there for your family, right? To mm-hmm. lean, they lean on each other. And, I, and and Gabe, I'm glad that you you were there when Brian needed you, and mm-hmm. to lean when when he was going through his troubles, and and you know, Brian probably doesn't know this. He's going to know now that you reached out to me. To reach out to Brian, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, you know, because he needed it. Yeah. yeah, he needed it. And you, once you told me, I was concerned, and I'm proud of you. Thank I'm you. proud of both of you for what you're doing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in the new wellness unit now, and and I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing like like Gabe here sees a lot behind the curtain with uh, Chief Garcia and what goes on. I'm seeing a peek behind the curtain of of the wellness of officers, and also the the where we could be a lot better and we need to be there for each other just okay. like y'all were and, mm-hmm. and pick each other up. Cause there is, there are some struggling people in this job will tear you down. And if you don't help yourself and you don't reach out for, to, to other people to help you reach out to some of these, you don't have leaders, right? Yep. You know who they are. Mm-hmm. There's people that genuinely care. Yep. Yeah. You need to find that. Yep. Absolutely. Guys, I want to get. I want to have one final question for both of you. Yeah. Mm. Brian, I really just. I, I, would you like to a redo on regrets and answer? And maybe you would have read that speech therapist yeah. uh, a little <laughs> better. <Yeah. laughs> thought awesome. you were going to be serious there for a second. I was like, here we go. <laughs> he set that up so nice. No. Guys. I want y'all to know that I love y'all to death, and I am, I'm so happy to see y'all grow it. You know, and Brian, I'm kind of looking at you uh, where you're at now, and 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 the changes, the different iterations of Brian Candelaria from whenever I f- first got that voicemail, <clears throat> d- douchey email, um, <laughs> um, to watching you on the CRT grow, to you actually tell, saying that you got something from my silly little courtroom class into now you being self-aware and recognizing you are not in a good place and in, in mind and body and SWAT. Right. Mm-hmm. And now you wanting to grow. Yeah. Cause I didn't see that. I didn't see that in you early on. Right. Mm-hmm. In your career. You didn't see you. I didn't think you would be a Sergeant. I didn't think you would want to leave, but now seeing you having a thirst to know that you can influence from a supervisory level. Absolutely. That makes me proud. Thank that you. makes me proud that to know you and be your friend. Gabe, you're generally, man, you're a great, great human being. And I'm, I'm honored to know you. And I'm glad that people like you are in, in leadership roles. Thank I just you. want you to know that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Candelarias. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I tell you guys, I'm your triplet all the time, just a little bit taller. Yeah, right. uh, a little bit. But uh, no, I, I, same I, hair, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here, dude. It looks good on me. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate you guys. I really do. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're part of this department. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that you guys do what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, really you guys it. too, man. Yeah, Joe, I love you, man. And, and Sarge, I call you Sarge because that's what you are to me. <laughs> but no, I love you too, man. Well, 
I think this is a perfect way to wrap it up. This is our longest episode. But you got two. Yeah, this is our longest episode. Oh wow! And the listeners are going to be, you know, I, I, I think they're going to, I think they're going to enjoy it. We're going to have a lot. Of, we got a lot of laughs. This is a lot different episode. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there's so much. There's so many layers to this. We well, there's not, two of us. There, and there, yeah, there's two. There's two for the price of one. Right. Right. And there's just so many layers and so many different career paths from Apollo and Artemis. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so many differences. You, we had to pull back those layers of each individual to to create this episode i'm i hope your family your friends your co-workers and the people over you and underneath you in rank hear this and understand uh the characters that y'all are thank y'all for your service thank you for coming on here thank, thank you brother you thank you guys sister I'll never give up on you hey Mrs. hey mister I'll see this all the way through no matter how far the sun and the moon I'll never give up on you I'll never give up on you.